0: Welcome, young Skywalker. I have been expecting you. I'm looking
1: forward to completing your training. You will find that it is you who are mistaken. About a
2: great many things. In time, you will call me Master.
1: Welcome to Now Playing's Star Wars Retrospective Series. It's a trap! Hosted by Arnie. Indeed, you are powerful, as the Emperor has foreseen. Stuart! This is an unexpected pleasure. We're honored by your presence. And Jacob. Together again, huh? Wouldn't miss it. How are we doing? Same as always. That bad, huh? Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as they review another Star Wars film leading up to Episode 7, The Force Awakens.
2: I'm out of it. For a little while, everybody gets delusions of grandeur.
1: This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers.
2: I have a really bad feeling about this.
1: Listener discretion is advised. Good luck. You're gonna need it.
3: Today we're discussing Return of the Jedi, starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, Sebastian Shaw, Ian McDermott, Frank Oz, James Earl Jones, David Prowse, Alec Guinness, and Kenny Baker, directed by Richard Marquand. This is the now playing co-host who will show you the power of the podcast, Arnie. Stewart in L.A.
2: And this is the host that many believe to be some sort of god, Jacob.
3: I'll just start calling you Goldenrod. How's that? (laughs)
2: That's good with me. Return
3: of the Jedi. This movie, for so much of my life, held the record of movies I saw the most times in theaters at. Thirteen. Wow. One of them was with me. I know that, and I did see this twice in theaters. That was number one, Stuart. Don't you remember? We stood in that long line. There was a cosplayer of Darth Vader. Yeah. It was like one of the last nights of school for the year. <laughs> we couldn't even sit together. We got there like at the eleventh hour. We got the last three tickets. I don't know where you sat. I didn't care. There was Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> That's true we did that.
2: This is the first Star Wars film that I went opening weekend. I remember as a kid waiting hours in line out in the sun at least a couple of hours we is me my parents and we had some of their friends with us who had a child who like Pete's pants were waiting in line so long they had to run him home and change and bring him back. We're still waiting in line by the time they got back. But yeah, I remember standing in line, waiting, anticipating this film. So excited.
0: Not only that, I remember this was the movie that jacked up movie ticket prices. Movies were two twenty five in Springfield before then. Jedi came around, it was three seventy five. My dad was mad. He was like, What? I have to give you another
3: dollar fifty cents? I remember, though, strange things. First, I remember this being advertised on the billboard as being in Dolby Stereo. It was like pushing (laughs) audio forward into two channels. Not THX yet. No. And the second thing that I remember is this is probably the first instance in my life of severe movie hype and my first retrospective now I had Star Wars on VHS Empire I never got it either wasn't out or wasn't on HBO or something so leading up to Return of the Jedi I bought Every Star Wars novel, there were three Han Solo novels, I bought the novelizations of Star Wars and Empire, about Splinter of the Mind's Eye, and I read Star Wars, and then I read Empire, and then I started reading Return of the Jedi, and it was also my sister's first time giving me the concept of a spoiler, saying I didn't want to know how it ended, so I stopped reading until after I saw that movie.
0: Oh, that's right. You weren't in my third grade class. See, this is the first movie that I actually had entirely spoiled by the novelization. My third grade teacher, I think partly because she was really into sci-fi and she was really geeky, decided that the last book she would read to class was the novelization of Return of the Jedi. And I didn't even know that movie was coming. And so she told us everything. I knew everything that was going to happen in the movie because she had read the story to us a week before this movie came out. And it started a whole trend. It was the first time I ever did it for a movie, but I did start buying movie novelizations because I kind of
3: liked feeling like I had more knowledge than everyone else walking to a movie theater. You and I both, I think I just drowned in those, but I usually waited till after the movie and I would annoy the bookstore because I didn't understand at this age that they didn't novelize every movie. And so I'd call every week, do you have the novelization of Ghoulies? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I do feel like, yeah, I was the right age. You know, the other ones when they came out, 77, I was a newborn baby when that film came out. I was three when Empire Strikes Back came out. But this has the most vivid memories from my childhood because I, I was just of that age where I was getting the toys, getting the books, mm-hmm. watch this one. This is the one I probably watched the most as a child, just because it was at an age where I could actually remember seeing it and everything. So this was a big deal when it came out. I, I was super excited.
3: Yeah, this is probably what solidified me as a collector this is my like first memories i kind of remember that trip for yoda but i remember going to the stores every week and having to decide do i want an ewok or do i want a gamorian guard
2: i was so mad when my brother got a rancor for christmas and i didn't
3: i never had a rancor until i was in my 30s <laughs> <laughs> i'm still waiting for my
2: first rancor i did have the job of the hut set though which i loved
3: I had the ad at though. That was my big thing. I remember when I was standing in line for Return of the Jedi, it went past a toy store and I was probably ignoring Stuart. I was scared of the Vader. I mean, I was eight years old and I didn't understand the concept of cosplay. I thought Darth Vader was in Springfield, Illinois, <laughs> and that his Hasbro lightsaber would cut off my hand. But I was so enthralled with that ad, at I was practically licking the glass. But man, hyped to no end and... I saw this so many times. I just kept going back. I had seen E.T. like 12, and I wanted to see Jedi more. So I just, every week, my parents are like, what do you want to do? Return of the Jedi. What do you want to do? Return of the Jedi. Until I got 13 showings in, and I think that that still is my record holder. I can't think of a movie I've seen more in theaters, I've even seen it more since then with Special Edition, and I got to see the original theatrical cut in a theater last year up at a special event in Seattle.
0: Yeah, I think of the Star Wars movies we're covering, this is the one that I have seen the most. I saw it twice in theaters, I saw it a few times on TV, VHS... I saw it, uh, you know, in the late 90s when I did the original trilogy in their original form. And, of course, I've seen what they've done to it here. So I was shocked. There are things that I remember about this movie that are not on this Blu-ray I just watched. It was the one that felt like the most digital tinkering has happened here. That Lucas has changed the most about the original product in his digital rewrite. Actually, the one that was changed most was the first one, A New Hope. You know, but I don't think I saw that one so much, so it didn't change my memories. It didn't bump up against my memories.
2: And I feel like A New Hope is a lot of little things, changing the exhaust ports so they looked more real and changing explosions. I said I didn't see the special editions for A New Hope or for Empire Strikes Back in theaters. I did see this one. This is the one that I caught, and I'll just put it up front. More infuriating than Greedo shooting first. We'll get to those parts, but this is a special edition I never want to watch again.
3: This one gets changed more and more, as they all do, but this one becomes further and further away from the source with each release. Empire has stayed mostly the same. They added the insert of Vader, A New Hope. They just keep tweaking to try to make Greedo shooting first not look so crappy, but This one, yeah, each time there's something new, and we will talk about all of those changes as we go through this film.
2: When do we get the David Lynch cut? Like, I think that's the most notorious story with Return of the Jedi is Lucas wanted David Lynch. Had he seen David Lynch movies? Like, what would this have been? Dune, I guess?
0: Elephant Man. I mean, keep in mind, he had had one weirdo eraser head that was sort of a midnight movie success, and then he had had a real box office, Oscar-winning commercial release with Elephant Man, and I think wanting to do sci-fi, yeah, I'm glad he ended up doing Dune. I think that Dune is a better representation of David Lynch's vision than anything he would have gotten to here, although I would love to see a David Lynch Ewok. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> just the weird dance he'd do in the Red Room.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, it would be a very different Ewok. It would be very frightening.
3: Now you have me, yeah, picturing the Ewok doing the little man dance and <laughs> mm-hmm. with the boom, and now I'm picturing Han Solo after he's out of carbon. I just wants a damn good cup of coffee. I do
2: think Jabba's palace would be amazing if David Lynch did it.
3: Yeah, I it would be. Well, if David Lynch were allowed to do
0: what he would want to with it, but of course that was the reason why he didn't sign on in the first place. Is that he was like, nah, I don't really want to work for this guy. I'm going to do my own thing. And well, we'll talk
3: about Dune one day. I hope. Yeah, it didn't work out for him. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just say that. But this one, I kind of. Agree. Empire, he was pretty hands-off. Kirsch was Lucas's old teacher, and I think because Kirsch used to be in the position of authority, he still held some and got some respect from Lucas during the making of that film. By this one, we talked a lot in our Indiana Jones retrospective about how Lucas was really hovering over Spielberg and Spielberg's boss on those films, which was such a strange dynamic to me. But very recently, they've released some behind-the-scenes footage as part of the making of Return of the Jedi book and the ebook that had actual videos that confirmed what I always suspected. This is almost a poltergeist situation with Marquand in the role of Toby Hooper. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: the rumor was always, oh, Marquand, you deal with the dramatic acting and I'm going to take care of all the special effects, but you're saying Lucas was... His handprints are all over this.
3: There is footage of him on Endor telling Marquand how Ewoks would act, how Ewoks would move. He was not dealing with the actors. You're right. And what Lucas said is he likes being the producer because he can go back home for the boring parts, as he called it.
2: Yep, the dramatic acting parts, the boring stuff.
3: But in those scenes, he was just telling Marquand what to do, and then Marquand turned around and did it. So this is very much a George Lucas product. And what a... Different tone this one has than the first two, doesn't it? I mean, this has been the topic of conversation. I think for our generation, for the 32 years this film has been out is the first one was very retro but Flash Gordon and kind of PG Empire the dark one has the down ending has people losing their hand this one does get a little bit more lighthearted Return of the Muppets that was
0: what (laughs) my brother and all his friends said I it was a shocker this was one of the first times I went to a movie with you Arnie loved it thought it was one of the best movies of all time went back and saw it with my older brother he's about five years older than me he's in high school and all his friends did not like the movie they thought it was too kitty they thought it was too silly i couldn't understand it i'm like how could you not like the greatest movie of all time
2: <laughs> i don't even know if it the too kitty thing is the biggest problem with this film we'll talk about it but yeah there's the ewoks but you get this real sleazy grimy gangster stuff to cuddly teddy bears for me it, it's that shift in tone that's so jarring I
3: think that that shift isn't quite so big, and I definitely think it's become smaller as the new cuts come. (laughs) Yeah, however I might have
0: felt about that being the case, I think this one has the reputation for being the worst of the three. That was kind of what I was curious about coming back to it is, does it have a bad rep? Is it? different than the first one. You know, I, it's got a lot of the same plot point elements of the first one. So that's kind of my comparative here. I don't expect it to be good as Empire, but I'm hoping it's as good as the 77 New Hope.
3: Well, Stuart, you've been doing these recollections and you haven't seen this movie since the 90s and really not much since the 80s. What did you remember this film to be? Did you remember all the Muppets? I feel like I
0: did pretty good on this one. I feel like, again, this is the one I saw the most. so I, There were things that I definitely remembered, but yeah. Okay, here's the stream of consciousness paragraph that I jotted out right before I hit play. Rescuing Han from Jabba the Hutt's palace. Jabba is fat, eats Muppets from a fishbowl, has green (laughs) dancers with two drooping cones on her head. Slave Leia chained to his bed. Luke shows up in disguise, speaking in a funny accent. He's thrown in a pit to fight Rancor, then made to walk a plank into a gaping mouth in the sand. There's a new Death Star under construction. I don't even think that they fly in to shoot it. They just go to indoor or something. I have no idea how Han gets warmed up. (laughs) Or how they get to Endor. I just know Ewok's crown, C-3PO king, and there's one called Wicket, and the lightspeeders are really bad looking, and there's many at-ats as well. And the actor playing the Emperor must have had his skin tone peeking out through the cowl, because I can remember from TV viewings that there's this digital black
3: blob that's on his face. Not digital. I think there was somebody with a sharpie on the film.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's very (laughs) noticeable in its 80s TV presentations that was this black blot all over his face while he was trying to tempt Luke. It was very distracting.
3: It's the dark side. It is literally the dark (laughs) side of his face.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty dark. I was mad. And I remember thinking, I didn't put this in here, but I remember thinking the special effects really took a hit in this one, that it was the weakest one in terms of special effects. But taking off the mask to see Withered father vader that was such a huge disappointment of childhood jub 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 nyub nyub. not jub jub hey it's my memory (laughs) it doesn't matter it's not there anymore (laughs) oh so angry about this. i know ghost of vader obi-wan and yoda oh that's right yoda dies at the beginning very suddenly they're playing drums on stormtrooper heads is there a wedding that's how i ended
2: it
0: (laughs) (laughs) i thought han and leia might have gotten a wedding when they're dancing around i couldn't remember
2: chief chirpa officiate that one i maybe
0: not too bad i mean things i got wrong for sure we'll talk about it but i could remember
3: the movie yeah i think because we've talked about it a lot i don't have any question how you remembered the rancor
0: Yes, I agree. I I remember the (laughs) name Rancor mostly because you would always talk about how much you were angered at the special effects of the (laughs) ring. But that isn't my complaint when we talk about this movie. So why don't we get into it, Arnie? Just let's get the plot in. Let's get going on Return of the Jedi.
3: When we last saw our heroes, they were in dire straits. Han Solo had been frozen in carbonite and delivered to Jabba the Hutt, where the smuggler hangs on the wall as decoration. Luke Skywalker had lost his hand and his spirit when he found out the dark Jedi Darth Vader was his father. And now, matters are worse, as the Empire has begun construction on a newer, bigger, more powerful Death Star that will surely wipe out the Rebellion. But Luke, Leia, Chewbacca, and Lando Calrissian launch a complicated plot to rescue Han from Jabba's palace, involving C-3PO and R2-D2 working for the lizard-like crime boss, and eventually R2 sneaking Luke a lightsaber, which the Jedi uses to cut down all of Jabba's men. Meanwhile, Leia, who had become Jabba's prisoner, uses her own chains to choke the life out of the gangster. With Han revived, the Rebels rendezvous to plan an attack on the new Death Star, but Luke straggles behind to go complete his Jedi training with Yoda. He arrives to find Yoda is sick and very close to death, but in his dying breaths, he tells Luke he is not the last of the Jedi. There is another Skywalker, which I never understood until I was an adult. I had no clue what that Muppet was mumbling. Michael Caine effect.
2: (laughs) Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I mixed the audio on that part.
3: The ghost of Obi-Wan Kenobi reveals the other Skywalker to be Leia. Luke's twin sister separated from Luke to be hidden from Darth Vader shortly after her birth. With this new knowledge and Yoda's final command to confront Darth Vader, Luke rejoins Han, Leia, Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2 as they lead a troop of rebels for a ground assault on the Death Star's shield generator located on the forest moon of Endor. When Han gets the shield down, the plan is the rebel starships will fly into the Death Star and destroy it. But this attack was all a trap set by the Emperor himself. Realizing this, Luke surrenders himself on Endor to the Imperials, and the Emperor reveals to the young Jedi that an entire legion of troops await Han and his commandos. With the shield still up, Luke is helpless but to watch from the Death Star as the rebel ships get slaughtered. Goaded on by the Emperor, Luke gives in to the dark side and attacks both the Emperor and Vader, but he eventually finds his balance and refuses to fight. The Emperor, realizing Luke will never turn to the dark side, begins to kill the young Jedi with forced lightning shot from his fingers, but Vader finds some remnant of good fatherly instinct inside of him, and he saves Luke by throwing the Emperor down a large shaft. Meanwhile, Han, aided by Endor's native teddy bear-like aliens called Ewoks, defeat the Imperials on Endor and lower the shield, allowing the fleet led by Lando to destroy the second Death Star. And with the Emperor dead and the Imperials defeated, the Rebels celebrate on Endor, victorious at last, as credits roll. Again, high level. That said, this one returns in my mind to the pacing of A New Hope in many ways where we're going to spend about the first half hour on Tatooine and it's going to be a pretty basic assault. There's not all the complex nuance. The love triangle is really reduced. There's not so much interpersonal relations because this movie has one big objective. End the trilogy, defeat the Empire, tie up the loose strings.
2: What I really noticed this time is how thin... This movie is like, we'll get into it more, but even looking at the opening scroll here, it's like, okay, Luke is gonna go face off Jabba to save Han. And then the next two paragraphs is like, yeah, there's a second Death Star being constructed. And um, so that's certain doom. It's like, let's repeat what we just said. That Death Star is bad news. They're going to repeat those beats from A New Hope, I guess I'm using in finger quotes, Star Wars. It's just so weird. If this is Lucas had this planned out, like you said, with Empire, why are we just doing another Death Star? It just seems so that like there's so little story in this one.
3: I don't know that Lucas had the exact beats planned out. I'm not sure that he knew there would be a second Death Star. He knew some of the interpersonal stuff. He knew he'd bring the Emperor in. I don't think that he necessarily knew the specifics of it. I think that he didn't realize quite what a quandary he was putting himself in, putting Han and Carbonite in that This movie opens, and it's got a great opening. Oh, I love
2: the opening of this, yeah.
3: We start with the scroll, and then we go to the spaceship. And this time we get to see the Imperial shuttle, which in the special editions we've seen before in both movies. But it was first seen in 83 in this, that big tri-winged ship.
2: Yeah, the the wings come down. I, I love those mechanics. Yeah,
3: it's just an amazing design. And Vader lands on the Death Star, and he's the harbinger this time. He's been the big bad for the last movie and really the first one, but now the Emperor's not as forgiving as I am.
2: Yeah, I love how they set up how threatening the Emperor is. That Vader comes, in that last film, Empire, yeah, he was in charge, but here he's like, the Emperor's gonna get you back on track. I guess they've fallen behind in their construction. I do love, like, okay, we're retraining the Death Star, but I do love the look of it. Like, yeah, it's still yeah. under construction. It's all in, like, pieces still. They still got a side to put on.
0: I love the whole look. I like the half-made Death Star better than the Death Star, honestly. (laughs) I just think it's neat to see what they start with first. Like, all right, we definitely got to get the laser part in first. I also like that they learn since last time. Like, they have security and shields before they have a weapon. They're like, you aren't getting close to this anymore. No one will be flying up into this anymore.
3: Yet a big complaint that was leveled against this movie by a lot of fans is that, God, you made the same mistake twice. Why would you build another Death Star and yet still have a place where one single shot's going to blow up the whole thing? But
2: you have to fly through it this time. You have to get the shield down first, and then you got to fly through the dang thing to get that shot. It's not like a simple ventilation shaft they didn't cover up.
3: Yeah, if they ever got the siding on the building, it would be <laughs> impenetrable. <laughs>
2: Yeah, they're just so
3: eager. They're trying to get ahead of this schedule. And
0: they, they got a good point. If the Rebels get wind of this, they don't know yet. Or do they?
2: The Emperor is going to play the Rebels. He, I guess with that dark side, and I guess even with the Force, you could see visions of the future. The Emperor is going to say things are playing out as he foresaw them. So perhaps that's why he's showing up. He kind of knows what's going on.
3: Yeah, this is his end game. He thinks he's in control. He knows every move everyone is going to make. What he doesn't know, and I kind of like this, and we'll get into it more later, is who his apprentice will be when credits roll. <laughs> he knows somebody's going to die. But he's not quite sure who. And either way, he wins. He kills the Rebellion all from this Death Star. It's all set up in this one scene with Vader as ominous as ever. And it's good we have this because we're going to not even discuss the Imperials for the next 30 minutes.
2: Yeah, we're going to leave the Death Star. We're going to go on a rescue mission. We're going back to Tatooine. And always
3: my favorite part of the movie. Love oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jabba's
2: yeah. Palace.
0: Just a tremendous. Better than the Cantina. I always just liked... The whole
3: atmosphere here, everything about it. I disagree. i always preferred the cantina to this, and I'll tell you my one problem, and this is my problem when I was eight. Some of these aliens just don't look so hot. (laughs) Hey,
2: if you watch the original cut of Star Wars when they have Wolfman masks on.
0: Exactly. You cannot say that these look worse than the critters at the bar.
2: I
3: actually think they do specifically Max Rebo the blue piano playing pillow.
2: I love the band. I love the band.
3: I love him. He's my favorite. And I never knew as a kid that Ula the dancing girl was supposed to be the same species as Bib Fortuna the major domo of Jabba because they both have headtails. I knew he had headtails. The makeup looks very good there. I always Literally thought there were pillows strapped to her head for some
2: reason. No, I always got those were head tails. I, yeah, they don't look as good as Bib Fortuna's, but I never questioned her race because of it. I, <laughs> I questioned
3: her species. I just thought she was some humanoid and her people put long pillows on their head for dancing. I, I don't know. My memory was that his palace was bigger. That was the surprise coming back is how cramped it all looks in the main throne room. It's so small that you hit your head on wind chimes. <laughs> I,
2: I do find that funny. They got wind chimes hanging there. But this is a palace, right? Like, this is his place. I always wondered as a kid, is this like a nightclub? Like, if I pay the bouncer a few bucks, can I get into this place? But this is like invite only. Yeah,
3: this is like Corey Feldman's house. <laughs> <laughs> with
2: with the angels.
3: Yes. <laughs>
2: Six boobed angels.
0: You think it's this big? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I just rent i'm not even sure <laughs> but i'm not saying i dislike this and i love the character design of java they come a long way since that guy in the furry coat from part one and the puppeteering when the aliens are good the aliens are great but it just never was cantina level to me for whatever reason
2: you're saying these puppets aren't doing for you one of the things Right off, they get rid of one of my favorite songs, this what is it, Lapty Neck? Like this space disco rock song that they slice noodles is going to sing with the big long lips. I remember seeing that special edition and it turns into a Disney musical numbers like she's blowing kisses what I remember like at the screen with oh, I I hate it so much. Forget that CGI. I will go with bad puppets than ever watch that scene again.
3: Jacob, which version or versions did you watch for this? Cuz I watched original and Blu-ray.
2: The only time I have ever watched this was the special edition that came out in theaters. I have never gone back to watch this scene again. It upset me so much.
3: So you watched the original for this review?
2: Yes. For this review, I watched the original.
3: Yeah, and I watched only this
0: new version. It's my first time seeing it. Help me. I feel like Lucas has played a Jedi mind trick on me. What is my memory of the original?
2: Ladies, man. Boba Fett. Ugh.
0: Yeah, I know it wasn't this Yeah, character that's singing with a harmonica.
3: That's Oh,
2: I forgot about that guy, too. Yeah. Ugh. All right.
3: Here's what happened. And I knew this coming in, and I was worried. Because in the pre-release stuff, George Lucas said, you know, I always wanted a big musical number in Return of the Jedi. No, you didn't, George. No, you didn't. <laughs> But that's what he said at the time is he always wanted this musical number. He didn't get it. What he got was the size noodles puppet. Yes, I could see the strings on her in the 80s and I get it. Her lips didn't move very much. I didn't care because she was a puppet. I think the puppet with the visible strings and the non-moving body looks better than the awful, awful CGI we get here. There are two shots and I don't know why there's two of them. But at one point, Cy Snoodles distends her lips at the camera.
2: That's what I remember. I remember just being furious at that point.
3: And another one, now she's singing a duet with a new furry character who actually is a yuzum from Endor though we'll never see them on Endor. Oh,
2: see, I've expelled this from my memory. That's a harmonica guy. No, no, there's a lizard harmonica guy or a frog guy and then there's the furry guy that sings, oh, it's all coming back to me and I hate it even more. And
3: he also also goes right up to the camera and opens his mouth wide and shows you exactly how bad his CGI tonsils and the roof of his CGI mouth look. And I think it was this bad in 97. They have not improved it on the Blu-ray. It looks terrible. The song is fine. I like LaptonEck more. Jedi Rocks?
2: Jedi Rocks is the name of it.
0: No, no, no. Stop. You guys, stop. It is not the CGI that makes this bad. It is the music. It is that whatever that song was, that it felt integrated to the Star Wars world in Return of the Jedi. I do not remember a note of it, but I never remember bumping up against this. This is like the California Raisins or something. (laughs) Like, I don't know what kind of doo-wop Motown thing they thought they were doing it does not belong
3: in the star wars world this song is atrocious
2: yeah i remember boba fett's like hitting on space chicks i kind
3: of like that i never liked boba Uh... fett there in the first place because he was supposed to be a badass bounty hunter and having him just hanging out at jabba makes him look like jabba's muscle instead of a free agent but if he's gonna be there yeah let him hit on some chicks I didn't notice him hitting on chicks. I thought he looked angry. Like, he
0: was expressing the feeling I was looking at this musical number.
2: You were projecting yourself onto Boba Fett. (laughs) Yeah,
0: no, he seemed pissed that this was the musical number now. I can't believe that they thought this was an improvement. But to be clear, my disdain is not for the CGI characters. I don't remember what the original puppets were. Maybe this is an improvement. But don't change the song.
3: Well... Part of the reason they may have had to change the song is they lost the original recording. They couldn't even release it as a single. The single they released was
2: a... I've got it on CD. They could just use that.
3: Well, it's not the same, but yes, they could have used that. This is what Lucas wanted. And this is where Lucas in 1997 is a very different man than Lucas in 1977.
2: And I will say this is more upsetting than Greedo shooting first for me. Like, no, this. No.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Th- this is No,
0: this is the worst thing that they'll digitally do. No. This
2: is, like, all of the worst fears of Disney taking over Star Wars coming true right here.
3: There's worse things in this movie, and this, you may not like the song, but it doesn't change character arcs the way Greedo shooting first changes Han. Huh? It changes
2: the tone! It changes the tone. I kept of the-
3: just thinking, California Raisins. Like, this is just not the
0: Star Wars universe. But Jabba's still cool. They didn't really digitally, you know, they digitally did him in the Star Wars New Hope redo, but here I feel like it's mostly the puppet, right?
3: They're not
2: no, I don't think they replaced him at all for the special edition.
3: No, this is all original puppetry, and it looks great. They had some good puppeteers there. He felt tactile, and sitting on that big dais, I always thought he was so much bigger. When he when they inserted him into Star Wars, I'm like, that's way too short. But when you see 3PO standing up on the platform with him, you, I just always thought Jabba was maybe, like, 8 to 10 feet tall. I thought he gained weight...
0: From the Star Wars New Hope version to, like, however much time has passed, I think he's just been eating those frogs. He seems bigger here than he did in
3: Episode 4. The special effects people actually said that as well. They had to slim him down and make him a younger, healthier Jabba for a New Hope (laughs) to fit in the scene. Well,
2: perhaps he's getting ready to birth another stinky—we'll get there if you don't get the (laughs) reference—
3: The Huts are no longer hermaphroditic, Jacob. That's now no longer canon. So we don't have to do Clone
2: Wars. Great.
3: No, the Clone Wars is canon, but we hey. don't know that Jabba was the sole parent of Rhoda. We'll, we'll get there. But yes, at this point in the expanded universe, Huts were neither male nor female. They actually were, I guess, transgendered. They just switched back and forth. They became female at birth time and male otherwise, but asexual reproduction. I think Jabba
0: is maybe my favorite Star Wars character. I I don't know why, but I've just always really gravitated to him. He then and now. I mean, I think he reminds me of the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. The way he sits there with the hookah. He seems to have all the answers, but he talks in a language you can't understand. And you know, he gives C three PO something to do. He gives him a job, sort of as his translator ambassador or whatever. The
3: best thing C three PO is ever going to do is work for him. I could watch a whole (laughs) sitcom based around these two. And I like the people around Jabba. Jabba is good. He's the nucleus of this. But the Gamorrean guards I've always found very fun. The dumb green pig guards.
2: Love the toy. One of my favorite toys as a kid.
3: They really brought in the Lord of the Rings
0: influence. That was one of the few times I was thinking about Lord of the Rings. I'm like, these things look like orcs.
3: Yeah, I didn't know what an orc was when I saw this. I just loved the design and the way they drooled and they weren't too bright but really strong. And Bib Fortuna is the sniveling assistant translator for Jabba Mm -hmm. and the fact that the droids are so evil at Jabba's they're torturing other droids (laughs) I never knew a power droid could scream until I saw Return of the Jedi
2: exactly Lucas is so cruel that he gives his droids feelings in these movies where they feel pain they could be tortured they're branding the feet of one of these robots
3: did they digitally put in the Jawa that's fanning Jabba No, the Jawa has always been there. They did digitally put in, for reasons that are inexplicable to me, this Sebulba-looking alien... Oh, Doug? ...walking across the Jabba's palace at one point. There was no reason to insert it. They just decided, hey, we had Dugs in the prequels. Let's have a Doug here. Oh, are you talking about, like, the mammoths? No, I'm talking about the guy who's walking on his hands and his feet are up in the air, like... I missed him. Yeah, it's blinking, you miss it, but why is he even there? But there's great world building here. I just, a lot of the background aliens like E. and A -A Man-A-Man, they just never moved. They never got the close-ups. I had figures of aliens that I never saw in that movie until I was an adult and really looking. Whereas the Cantina, you got the close-ups, and I've always liked John Williams' Cantina Jazz more than Lapteneck
2: or Jedi Rocks.
0: Yeah, John Williams didn't have anything to do with this new song, right? I gotta believe.
2: Not Jedi Rocks, no.
0: Is that what it's called?
2: Yes, that's what it's called!
0: Jesus Christ. (laughs) Anybody could tell him this was the wrong move.
3: Williams conducted it, but he didn't write it. Mm. Yeah, he certainly did But I don't know. I
0: love this so much. Couldn't this be the whole movie? I mean, I realize that you want to talk about a thin story. That would be this. But yeah, I love being here. It could be the whole thing could be busting out huh? That was
3: the stuff I really wanted. You don't understand what you're saying, Stuart. Disney owns this now. A movie a year. We are not that far from the entire movie at Jabba's Palace. I had a book called Tales of Jabba's Palace. All those aliens you like better than the Cantina. They all have backstories. Pip Fortuna was scheming against him. That spider alien that Mm -hmm. 3PO freaks out yeah he's a monk that's living in this it turns out that Jabba just kind of appropriated this monastery but the Bomar monks are still living there and eventually cut Bib Fortuna's brain out and make him one of them I mean all of these have stories and listen if they've got to chuck out a movie a year you bet they're going to get down to that kind of material
2: yippee (laughs) let's talk about the material here because here's my question We see C3PO and R2, they're approaching the door to get into Jabba's palace. They talk about, oh, Chewie and Lando never returned. They go in to see Jabba. R2 plays this message by Luke hey, have these droids. They're a gift. We're going to find out Luke has been slowly infiltrating. Like more and more characters are going to get in there. Was this the plan? Like the Emperor, he could see things. He's going to manipulate things at the end of this film. Is Luke manipulating things here or is he just like kind of improvising?
3: I think this. This is all the grand plan that Luke put together. I mean, Chewbacca's later going to tell Han that Luke thinks he's a Jedi Knight now, and he's the one doing this. There was a cut scene that they actually added for the Blu-ray they didn't put back in the movie, but it was there of Luke building his lightsaber and sending R2 off on this mission. And yeah, how... C-3PO didn't know Chewbacca and Lando were never there, but Luke was communicating.
2: You don't tell C-3PO anything. He he will betray you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I agree. Yeah, you got to watch that one.
3: But yeah, this was just a deep infiltration where he got Lando a job there where Lando's going to pull down his mask and show the camera, (laughs) hey, I'm Lando for
2: no reason. It's helpful to the audience.
3: Yeah, C-3PO and R2 are the first
0: ones we meet, but Lando's already been there. I don't get a sense that they're really expected to do anything other than become the servants to, they get planted there. Much to C-3PO's chagrin, R2 is announcing that they are presents for a deal that Luke probably doesn't think it's going to be that easy, but he certainly is willing to do this, right? He
3: certainly is willing to barter to get Han back. No, I don't think so. He knows how Java will react, and... Of course you're right, Jacob. You don't tell 3PO anything, but R2 knows the plan because he's got the lightsaber inside of him. The whole reason to send the droids is merely to smuggle a lightsaber into Jabba's palace and get a droid that nobody's going to look twice at in there so that when Luke gets there and gets in his situation that he knows he'll be in somehow, he can motion to R2 and have his lightsaber back.
0: Is Jabba its own language? Like, do people speak Jabba?
3: Yeah, he speaks Huttese, which is the same language Greedo was speaking in the first one. Oh. and it's pretty consistent ben burt has pretty much devised that language much like the klingon language it's the most oft-spoke foreign language in star wars hmm.
2: so my question is leia's gonna show up with chewy now she's in disguise and talk about ben burt i love the sound design for leia in her bounty hunter disguise just that weird robotic yo too yo too yeah
0: it's obvious now what, that it's a female, but you, you heard from my plot remembrance. I thought this was Luke.
2: <laughs> oh, so you thought he he showed up in this disguise. Yes. I thought maybe you were talking about the cape he'll show up in. Yeah, so she makes a deal. She turns over Chewy. She tries to rescue Han. Was she not supposed to be successful then? Or I, that's where it gets cloudy for me. I
3: think if she'd been successful... It would have been easier to go back in and rescue Chewie or something. Maybe it's the will of the force, Jacob. Yeah.
2: Well, that's what I'm wondering. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you, you've you read all the books and stuff. Maybe that has been expanded upon. I'm just watching this, you know, trying to ask questions I would ask if I wasn't such a hardcore fan, you know, like we do with other films. Did they try to improve Han being be thawed?
3: Yes. they. And they actually succeeded in improving it some.
2: Oh, OK. Because it looks bad in the original version. Oh, it was
3: one of the worst effects in it. The melting has been kind of CGI'd over. It's still not great. It's still a cutaway. It's still a animated red glow, but the melting has improved.
0: I'm just surprised to see him in one piece because, you know, before we were talking about how horrific, how it looked like a coffin or whatever in part two. Hanging
3: up in Jabba's palace, I'm like, that looks like a chocolate bar. And I would think (laughs) I actually have in my collection a Han and Carbonite chocolate bar. They made it.
0: I, I can believe it cuz you want to
3: you want to nibble. I want to nibble on it. I'm like, "Oh, that, that looks delicious." <laughs> I also have the life-sized Han and Carbonite. It was the first time I cashed in my retirement for collectible.
0: Yes, I I have seen
3: that many times. It's really impressive. But she is captured and put into the metal bikini that All right, I was too young, I guess. I never ever sexualized Star Wars in any way shape or form and Fast forward 15 years, I'm watching an episode of Friends where w- Ross's biggest fantasy is Slave Leia. And Jennifer Aniston puts on the bikini. I'm like, that's a thing?
2: <laughs> that, that is shocking, having gone to conventions and stuff that you hadn't drawn that sooner. Maybe this was before your convention. going. Um, yeah, no. that was
3: the 90s. I never went to a convention until this century. I actually feel that spot on even now. I feel like this is a pretty sexless world. I don't get
0: that there's a lot of, I mean, okay, she's tied up in chains. This is as close to racy as it ever gets, uh, but I kind of agree with Arnie's prepubescent viewpoint. I'm like, people get hot over this world?
2: No, I, as a kid, yeah, I didn't get it that it was just, oh, she's locked up by Jabba. That's horrible. And I still have problems with it. I'm not going to go all crazy, but uh, it's not like it's a female empowerment thing. She she is a sexual slave. I mean, I, I don't I, know that she's sexual. I mean, uh, he's licking. He's got that tongue out. I just have a hard time fetishizing it because it wasn't something of her choice. That that's, that's I'll just leave it at that. But I don't find the joy in it that a lot of people
0: do. You know, but he, he licked uh, lips also about that, you know, dancing girl, too. And I, I think he just gets excited In the presence of women, but...
2: He just likes good choreography.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, he killed her. I mean, I also think you could write that off as bloodlust or maybe cruelty. Maybe what he really enjoys is, yeah, keeping this girl in chains and throwing another to the pit. Maybe it's not sexual at all. Maybe it's just evil.
3: Yeah, I don't see anything sexual about this. I can't even imagine a hut mating with a human... It's degrading. It's It becomes an adornment for him. People who come to pay homage to the mighty Jabba may be impressed that he has a beautiful woman in chains and a metal bikini there. And obviously Lucas had something here. He wouldn't let Carrie Fisher wear a bra on the first one saying there's no underwear in space. He created this idea, but...
2: Hey, there's a BJ machine in THX 1138. So yeah, he's got some weird ideas.
3: Wow. I still don't see this as incredibly sexy, but I do find the cosplayers who dresses this incredibly sexy. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, maybe if I saw the porn parody, I, I can't watch the porn parody. Again, this is a sexless universe for me. I just- Yeah, I I'm with
0: you on that. And, and yeah, I see this mostly as, oh, she needs help. Someone needs to save her. Lando's there, but I guess Lando's just never going to be as cool as Luke. So we have to rely on Luke and the force.
2: Well, and when Luke enters, it's scary. He's got that hood up he's force choking one of the Gamorrean guards like as a kid I'm just like oh cool he's using the force but you know watching this as an adult oh this could be a changing point he's doing the same thing that Darth Vader does
3: I got that when I was 8 I mean I'm like oh my god he's using the dark side what happened to him when we last saw him we knew Vader was his father the fact that he force choked freaked me out as a kid and still does I mean now I see the movies not even being subtle it's playing at an 8 year old level because I'm getting at that age that he is becoming a mirror image of vader in costume and in power
0: not uh, not just vader though i mean because he's in the cowl yes it's black like vader likes to wear but it also it's the first time i thought of him looking like obi-wan i mean that is a robe if it were brown that alec guinness would be wearing so i saw that it played in both modes that he could go one way or the other i thought it was a good costume choice but it's the first time that I ever felt like Luke looked, like, uh, accomplished. You know, I he had been training to be a Jedi for two movies now, but just through this costume choice in his entrance, I'm like, oh, yeah, he is ready. Ready, he?
3: What? No, you ready. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm not happy about that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Luke here... The way he comes in, full of authority, but Jabba just shakes him off. He is immune to the Jedi mind tricks. He is not weak-minded.
2: That's the first time we've seen that, right? That someone can't be persuaded by that trick.
3: Well, they said it has a strong influence on the weak-minded, so that implies that somebody strong-minded wouldn't.
2: But we haven't seen it at this point, That which makes Jabba even more of a badass.
3: Yeah, because the way he just makes Bib Fortuna his bitch, you yeah. think he could just walk in there and own the place. I don't know why you can't force choke a hut. Maybe big esophaguses, (laughs) esophage. You got to
2: chain choke him, which Leia will do later on.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't really have a neck,
0: but yeah, Leia somehow manages.
2: (laughs) Yeah, again, Luke's plan is weird. Like he's like, oh, hand him over to me. He doesn't have his lightsaber. He uses the force to draw a gun and try to shoot Jabba, try to like straight up assassinate him. Well, he
3: only has one lightsaber, and he thinks this will fail, too. I mean, his entire plan is to fail until the Jabba gets so overconfident. I don't know. But he has his only lightsaber in R2. He grabs the gun, and then we finally see what killed Ula, the Slave Dancer, and that is the Rancor, and a Gamoran goes down with him, too. And, well, here we're seeing the Dark Overlord's daddy, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, perhaps better left to our imagination than actually seen. I, I not that every shot of this is bad, but there are some horrendous shots. Whenever it's like a rear projection thing, when Luke's trying to put that bone in his mouth, it is bad.
0: Yeah, well, you're talking about the original cut. I
3: remember Arnie complaining about that. Did
2: they fix this?
3: Well, not originally. When I went to the special edition of Return of the Jedi, I went in wanting one thing fixed. One thing. J- Lucas, <laughs> you had one job. That's what it was. And that yes. was to fix the rancor. Because in the original edition, he was almost like a cartoon. There was a black outline around him like He-Man on the cartoon. He was not there in these superimposed shots.
2: Yeah, it's it's bad. It's It's still like that. On the original cut. Yeah, it's
3: piss-poor matting, and yeah, when Luke is sticking that bone in his mouth, it looks like Mark Hamill's at a drive-in theater. But <laughs> I went to the special edition going, come on, fix it. And when they didn't, I called Stuart up and probably went on a 45-minute yes. rant, which yes. really redefined the meaning of the word rancor.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. That's why I knew the name was that you were just upset about something called Rancor. And I just, I couldn't console you. I was just like, I didn't even know what to say, really. I was just like, where was it? You're like, oh, something in the pit. I'm like, yeah, I vaguely remember that. But all right. If you're going to allow it to destroy your life, there's
3: nothing I
2: can do. (laughs) But they fixed this, what, on the Blu-rays? Yes. It looked
3: fine. They finally improved it. They went ahead and digitally removed the outline around the Rancor. Does it look great? No, they still do some fast cutting, and when Luke is going to the mouth, it still looks a little bit like he's at a TV, but not as bad. Overall, though, it is improved tremendously. It's still not perfect. You're not going to get perfect unless you spend, like, $50 million in CGI the entire thing. Yeah,
2: they have to redo the whole
3: thing. Yeah, and just completely, like, Photoshop everything out so you just have Mark Hamill and CGI the background, CGI the Rancor, CGI the Gamorrean, you could... Probably do it that way, but as it is, it's probably the best they can do with the film they had. It just took them way too long to do it.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of the Harryhausen stuff. I mean, that stop motion element to it is kind of part of the charm. It reminds me of those Sinbad movies or but whatever. There's
3: no, there's no stop motion. This is all puppetry. Yeah, really? No, there was a small puppet. Those eyes were BBs. On when you saw the full thing. So that gives you scale of how big the puppet is. And then they did close-ups of it and had like, they didn't even make any large pieces like the hand for insert shots. They just decided to mat the whole thing, hence the problem. Be
0: that as it may, I felt like I was suddenly in a Sinbad or a, a pirate movie. And that is sort of the vibe they're going with here. Not only in this pit with this creature, but later when he has to go walk a gangplank, it really, I felt like, oh yeah, they're going for swashbucklers. They're going for a vibe of like, Errol Flynn, Robin
3: Hood. Yeah, I suppose you can see that. It's just the fact that they're on basically sand boats probably drives that home. They're on the skiffs and Jabba has the sail barge there. I don't know that I got that feeling off of it. I mean, it wasn't like one-eyed Willie's boat
2: with sloth at the end of Goonies.
0: (laughs) You don't
3: think so? Like when that that fight gets
0: going there, when they're actually flipping and all of that?
2: Yeah, he's going to swing around like Errol Flynn would. Yeah. I I get what you're saying there. Or sloth, if you want to keep it contemporary.
3: (laughs) But I like this scene quite a bit. There's a lot of the setup with John Williams' score going boom, boom, and everybody's nodding at each other. Yes. (laughs) reminded me of the joke from Johnny Dangerously. No more nodding. And finally, the lightsaber
2: sprung a green blade. That freaked me out as a kid, too. That did freak me out, because I'm like, no, it's blue or red. What does the green mean? What does it mean? Now, it's just another good guy color, but then it's like, wait, does this mean he's changing allegiances? Like, I associated blue with Jedi and red with the bad Jedi. Yeah, I was right
3: there with you. When I saw green, I thought it could go either way, and in fact, for decades— People hypothesized that lightsabers weren't made a certain color, but the person holding it made it a certain color. And this was driven home around the time of Episode 3. Hasbro sold this color-changing lightsaber, Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber, and you push the button one way, it's blue. You push it another way, it would turn into red. And finally, Lucas had to come out and say no lightsabers are not mood rings but (laughs) as a kid i took this as meaning he's somewhere in the middle not red not blue
2: what really tells me that lucas is a questionable choice i know he created this universe i just don't know if i want him in charge of it is during this fight which is a lot of fun i'm enjoying this i don't like the special edition sarlacc where they added a beak to it nothing wrong with some tentacles and just teeth the beak it just looks weird whenever it tries to eat someone
3: well interestingly enough that definitely looks like Vagina Dentata, right? Yes. <laughs> and 1983 was also the year that George Lucas finalized his divorce from Marsha Lucas, <laughs> his wife <laughs> and editor, Oscar Award winning editor of A New Hope. And so when he goes back, instead of just making it a Vagina Dentata, it's now a Vagina Dentata with something of a certain shape coming through it. It's like, George, you can't win here.
0: Yeah, I, I was thinking about Audrey too, which plays off some of that imagery as well from Little Shop of Horrors.
2: Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, the Sarlacc looks pretty good the, the, when those barges are sailing. Not yes, so good. yes, terrible.
0: Yes. Yeah, no, the shadows weren't right. I mean, this was me at eight or nine, going, "Man, that doesn't look right." Not caring really, but feeling like this one
3: did not look as good as Empire or even Star Wars in my mind. As a kid, I didn't notice. As an adult, I agree. The matting work here. Lucas always has a tendency to push the envelope further than it really can. We talked about that with the Dark Overlord, and it's in effect here. Yeah, I do feel like this is a fun one. You know, Boba
0: Fett and Han being blind.
2: Yes, but here's the upsetting thing, which tells me, George, I don't trust you with this. He kills Boba Fett. Like, he didn't get how awesome Boba Fett was, and the dude just gets defeated by a blind man. But to Lucas's
3: defense... Boba Fett wasn't that cool in the movie. No. People made him that cool because of the card back on the toy that said he was like a proto-stormtrooper from the Clone Wars. This was all fan-built expectation, and there was no internet to tell
2: George that. Which shows the disconnect George has with the fans, which I, I think will hold true, especially with the prequels. Even when there is the internet, he doesn't care what the fans think or doesn't know what they think.
3: Well, Boba Fett, his beginnings we will get to when he first appeared in the holiday special. But the holiday special Boba Fett deserves this kind of a death, honestly. And he didn't do that much in Empire. I get that people are devoted to him. That's why in the no longer canon expanded universe, he survived. He crawled out of the Sarlacc pit.
0: I'm not sure who doesn't deserve a horrible death after that holiday special, but we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And he is getting his own solo thing from Disney. So perhaps we'll see him climbing out of that Sarlacc.
3: Well, I think it's a prequel. And I literally think it's a solo thing. Okay. A a solo meaning just him or a Han solo thing? Meaning a recast young Han. Okay. But... It is an inglamorous death. The fact that he screams like a punk too, there, yeah. it's a little disappointing for fans of Boba Fett. I have a giant, like, 14-inch Mandalorian tattoo. Boba Fett is a Mandalorian. I am devoted to Mandos. I'm not making fun of Boba Fett fans. I'm just saying I can see George Lucas's point of view back in 83, not realizing that someday there would be people with 14-inch Mandalorian tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed watching him hit the
0: barge and fall in, but that's just me.
2: (laughs) That that tells us you're not a star Wars fan. (laughs) I guess not.
3: (laughs) And that it's an accident. I mean, Yes. The fanboy in me thinks that deserved to be a final showdown. He took Han to Jabba. Han should fight him and defeat him, not just go, Boba Fett, where?
2: <laughs> I do love the way he says it.
3: <laughs> like three stooges level, knock him out. They changed some dialogue here, too, that I don't like because Han is blind. He says a very funny line that he's can, instead of a dark blur, see a light blur and... Yeah, Han is fun here.
0: I I had forgotten, you know, I thought of him so much as being incapacitated. I didn't remember how
2: funny he is. He br- brings the warmth. You're going to die here, you know. Yeah, yeah, I love
3: that line. But they changed one of his funniest lines when Lando is falling off the skiff and... He's being sucked down by the tentacle from the Sarlacc. The Sarlacc did have tentacles originally, just not as many. Yes, yes, it did. But when Han is reaching down for Lando, in the original, Lando's like, I thought you were blind! And Han goes, trust me. I like Han saying, trust me. In the special edition, don't worry, I can see a lot better.
0: (laughs) Okay, these are minor... Changes, but
3: uh it's kind of like last time with You're Lucky, You Don't Taste Very Good. There's certain lines that are just clever little quips that Lucas is exterminating.
2: Yeah, yeah. for weird reasons. I, I do like the exchange, you know, aim a little higher, a little higher. Yeah, it, it's funny stuff. It's the right balance here between the humor and the action going on. I mean, this is the first time I think we've seen a lightsaber like deflect laser bolts. I thought about that. I mean, he deflected them, but not
3: into stuff when he was with the training remote on A New Hope. This is the first time we see the lightsaber able to take a bolt and volley it back.
2: Yeah, which was cool stuff. Like, again, if this was all done today, it'd look even better. But for the time and for the mythology that had been established up to that point, I'm enjoying all this.
3: And Jacob, you were complaining about Leia's outfit here, but she takes her chains and chokes Jabba with them. This is her Possibly strongest moment in the saga. I mean, she shot one stormtrooper earlier on, but she's not the fighter. She's the thinker. To take out Jabba the Hutt, that's a big moment.
2: No, I do love that. I love that. Yeah, the victim is the one that gets the revenge on Jabba by using those same chains.
3: Very 70s. I spit on your dais.
2: (laughs) Here's my question, though, and maybe this is a little controversial. I know Harrison Ford, I've seen interviews where he wanted Han Solo killed off. And watching this now, I'm thinking maybe Han shouldn't have survived this. This scene, why this is a great half hour, perhaps my favorite half hour in this film, it's so disconnected from the rest. It doesn't have any play on the rest of the film, except Han Solo is going to be able to be on Endor, which... Doesn't necessarily need to happen. Would it have been better if Han dies? Luke has this failure and it pushes him more to the dark side. I just I see they could have integrated this Mm. with the story better.
3: Harrison Ford was always coming back for this movie. There was never a question of, oh, he's in the carbonite block. Let's leave him. But he did try to convince Lucas that Han should die. He thought that the character had no attachments and it would add weight to the series if there was a sacrifice. But Lucas wanted to have a happy ending. You know, there were rumors that Lando might die, penance for what he did to Han in the last film. Harrison Ford wanted to add depth. Lucas wanted this to continue being a fairy tale type story and have a fairy tale ending with no death. So it was never in a script it was just Harrison Ford thinking, bring me out of Carbonite, but then kill me at the end, possibly by flying the Millennium Falcon into the Death Star and dying to take it out.
0: Yeah, I don't think he should die here. I mean, you bring up an interesting idea I hadn't thought. It would certainly bring back some of the darkness of Empire if that was what happened, if, if a major character lost their life and it made Luke distrust his own powers or just get darker as a character
2: yes yeah, somehow make the stuff on tantuin matter yeah i just feel like we could have summed this up in a paragraph on the opening scroll it would, would it be as satisfying probably not but this half hour which again i love is so disconnected and doesn't matter, doesn't play out for the rest of the film.
3: Yeah, and that's what I was referring to when I said that Lucas may have found himself in a bind because he had sent Han off to Tatooine, and to get to the story he really wants to tell, the story about the Empire, well, he's had this arc of Jabba the Hutt. Jabba was mentioned in both the first two films, so we spend the first half hour here, and I think that's why the rest of the movie feels, as one of you put it, thin there's not a huge weight on the imperial plot because we've got 30 less minutes of the imperials we start the movie with darth vader and then we spend literally a half an hour on tatooine i like all of the deaths you
0: suggested more than the character they do kill jabba no (laughs) yoda oh i am pissed about this i never even thought about this i always accepted on face value that after they get finished here at this palace Luke puts on the flight suit to go back and finish his training and suddenly that spry happy can lift up fighter planes and and what have you creature is suddenly too frail to even like walk
3: and oh I'm 900 yeah that didn't affect you yesterday well it was a year ago and you know when 900 years old you reach Die from a cold, you might. Oh, 901 was really, that's the year.
2: 900, (laughs) you can flip
0: around and do anything, but 901, oh, it's all over.
2: What's so weird is like the last film, Yoda's like, oh, Luke has effed up everything because he's leaving. He should finish his training. Now he's like, nope, you're done. I hate that he dies for no reason.
3: It has to tie up that loose end, though. I mean, I understand from a story component that Lucas is saying, this is the last. What are we going to do with Yoda? We need Luke to be on his own. We need Luke to have to stand alone. And the only way to do that is to take away Yoda. I got a fix for you.
0: Yoda comes to Jabba's palace and dies valiantly, <laughs> saving everyone in this battle.
3: I do not like the idea of the Muppet who's been a hermit on a swamp planet for... 20-plus years going to Jabba's palace, we're going to see him basically do what you're asking when we get to Attack of the Clones. It's one of the few things I remember about Attack of the Clones. <laughs> but we are not ready for that here. My problem with Yoda dying is that it is overly convenient, but it made me cry the first eight times I saw this movie.
0: <laughs> oh, sure. No, I mean, it is upsetting, I, and I think that's why I'm mad now. Is like If you're going to kill a character I like, Do it for a good reason. Don't tell me all of a sudden that that tough, powerful guy is just not able to handle it anymore. And I think they just want to have it that apparently Jedi's, the good ones anyway, they don't actually die. They just decide to stop living. You know, Obi-Wan will just be like, all right, I'll let the lightsaber cut me. Or Yoda's just going to be like, I'm going to take a nap and not wake up.
2: It always bothered me that Yoda disappears with his clothes. He didn't leave his robes behind, like <laughs> Obi-Wan did.
3: It always bothered me that it's not a great effect.
2: <laughs> well, that's a, that's a complaint with most of this movie, which is really shocking watching it this time and being critical is how shoddy it all looks in this one.
3: But even as a kid, I knew that that blanket didn't fall quite right. <laughs> no, but
2: it, didn't, it doesn't fall at all for a few seconds.
3: Imagine if Luke arrived one day later and Yoda's just gone.
2: Well, his ghost could talk to him because, well, Ben's going to show up again. Alec Guinness, at least, seems to be enjoying being in the film one more time. Or maybe he could take the lights, unlike last time.
3: Yeah, he filmed his last scenes in six hours. He did the entire Empire in six hours. Here he's back for, what, six more? But he gets a good speech this time, I think. And, of course, one of the most oft-used lines by Star Wars fans What I told you was true from a certain point of view. He's like using car dealer logic to explain away why in the first movie he said Vader killed Luke's dad.
2: Yeah, but I think that is the Jedi way and they're going to expound, I think, more on that in the, prequels but I, I feel like jedis they're the earth tones or the browns and the beiges and the empires that stark black and white they're absolute so i i do feel like that is the jedi way it's about being passive and ying and yang and yeah it's maybe it's true maybe it's not it just depends how you look at it
0: yeah i actually accept it i actually think that it makes Perfect sense in terms of this character's spiritual outlook. You know, he doesn't see death the way that I do. So he he sees the death of the character as being when he flipped to the other side. And, and he has some lines here about machines, which is interesting. I never thought about Star Wars as being anti-machine. I actually think it's very pro-machine in, in many respects with the droid characters. They're lovable, usually. But uh, the, the sense that Darth Vader, because he's on a respirator and, you know, loses hands and, and has flesh replaced with robot parts, that, that makes him more evil is, I don't know, that was new to contemplate for me.
2: I think that just means he's lost his humanity. He's more machine than man now. I I think as you if you started replacing your parts with robot parts, yeah, you might lose some of your humanity. I I think it's a commentary on Darth Vader, and I do love how it's literalized later on towards the end of the film. Like, yeah, that means you literally you have lost your humanity if you're becoming this machine.
3: Well, he says he's more machine than man. I took that as physical, and then. He then adds twisted and evil. That doesn't mean all machines are twisted and evil. Look at C-3PO. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: what that's what I mean, is that I didn't normally get a an, an anti-machine vibe like something like Terminator would have. But it is here in this film, in the way that they're characterizing someone's turn to the dark side, is that they
3: let machines consume them. Well, I'm surprised you don't get that, because Lucas has always been, in his conception of Star Wars, that the Imperials rely on their technology... And the good guys don't. And that's why in his original draft for Star Wars, he had the Imperials defeated by Wookiees and just native Mm -hmm. beasts that he wanted to do that in this movie. But he felt like in Empire Strikes Back, he showed Chewbacca to be too technological. He was fixing a ship. So instead of Wookiee, they have Ewok. And Mm. that's how we get that the Imperials are defeated by people using stones and he really wanted to make a comment about Vietnam and the American machine being defeated by lesser armed... Guerrilla tactics.
2: That's where it gets really uncomfortable when he does these commentaries and he's like, basically the rebels, yeah, they're the Vietnamese destroying America.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to be so literal about it, but I can't imagine that was, you know, it was a part of the discussion when people wanted to discuss the Vietnam War, which wasn't a whole lot, but yeah, was that we, not only did we get our ass kicked, which was bad enough, but we got kicked by people that did not have nearly the, the manpower or the, or the, the funding behind them they just they had the will and, and we didn't so yeah I I can see that now I again I never saw the war in Star Wars before until I'm watching it now as an
3: adult but that's interesting and then Obi-Wan's like oh yeah the other he spoke of your twin sister it's Leia
2: <laughs> Luke does call out it's Leia somehow I have always known like
3: yes when her tongue was in my mouth I realized <laughs> I did-, did she really stick the tongue in her mouth I did not remember this In Empire, I think there could have been some tongue.
0: I didn't see... I didn't get that vibe. That's weird. Definitely not in Empire. They were, like, on the other sides of the universe.
3: Yeah, at the beginning, when she's trying to make Han jealous. When she says, you don't know everything about women, and then gives Luke that big kiss. Okay. Maybe there wasn't tongue, but, man, that kiss was very close. Tongues may not have been in each other's mouth, but they touched. Uh, The only tongue I saw was Java.
2: (laughs) Which is so weird, because this isn't going to actually matter... I mean, it, it plays, I guess, a little emotional beat for Luke when he's facing Vader, but not really. Like, don't we want to see Leia have to take up arms against Vader and fight, yes. join Luke and fight the Emperor and Vader? That's where it should be going.
3: Well, they had that in one of their Infinities What If type yeah, no, comics. I
2: mean, yeah, I've read that one. I enjoyed it.
3: But I think that... We might be seeing something similar to that in December, Jacob. I don't know. Spoilers are kept slim, but Leia is in it, and here he was passing on what he learned. So I have a feeling that Carrie Fisher may have a lightsaber.
0: I definitely think she's more inclined to be using the Force than getting into another bikini.
3: Yeah, and after her electroshock therapy, I wouldn't trust her with a lightsaber. I barely trust her with an (laughs) e-cig.
0: What's the difference?
3: (laughs) But uh yeah, I, I agree. The
0: problem is not that they have this inserted in here. It feels a little weird. It's that there's no payoff for it. That she is a Jedi or could be a replacement for Luke actually means that the final battle has less consequence. Suddenly it makes it all about patriarchy and only boys matter. And, well, the fact that she could be as good as Luke, eh. We all know that fathers and sons are are more important than fathers
3: and daughters. I guess I never thought of it the way you guys are discussing it. To me, this was always simply the resolution of the love triangle.
0: Yes, it is that, for sure. They wanted to make a clear winner there, and you'd never want... Her to have to pick between Luke and Han.
3: Right. There can't be a loser. So by making her his sister, yeah, it has absolutely no bearing on her arc this film. She never uses the force. And perhaps that is a missed opportunity because Luke's basically later on in the film like, yeah, you have this power, but I'm going to leave now. Good luck <laughs> figuring it out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with no Yoda or anyone to for her, to show her that it, she might as well, you know, have syphilis. It just it does her no good.
3: <laughs> maybe
2: maybe Ahsoka will show up and uh. train her. And Luke is even told to pass on what you have learned, but hopefully he lives with, through this confrontation so he could do that.
0: I have a very strong feeling that that uh, we are going to see some of this in Episode 7. But, it you know, again, introduced here, they didn't know about Episode 7 here. I think it would have been nice to use it for something other than the love story. Because, well, what you're ultimately saying is Leia's only important as to what man she ends up with.
3: Well, they kind of knew about Episode 7 here. We'll talk about it later on in the show. But Lucas had sequel plans.
0: No, oh, okay. But you get my point. My yes. point is, is that I wanted Leia to be a fighter. She's such a feisty creation in episode four that she basically is just, again, I thought it ended it with her marriage. I, my memory was that it was just about a girl who gets married. She finally picks the right man.
3: No, but she is in quite a bit of combat and gets more moments to shine. She gets more action in Jedi than any other film. She's going to be fighting speeder bikes later on. She's going to be shooting Imperials and saving Han's life. We'll talk about those moments when we get there. But I think she's a badass fighter in this film. I don't see her as just a prize. But while Luke is on Dagobah saying goodbye to his former master, I think at about the same time across the galaxy, Vader is saying hello to his current master. Finally, the Emperor has gotten to the Death Star, and he seems a lot nicer than Vader made him out to be, really. He doesn't kill anyone.
2: (laughs) He's got those crazy eyes, though, which... Uh, They're going to force into continuity when we get to the prequels. Like, if you're a bad Jedi, you have to have these, like, red and yellow contacts in. But there's something about the Emperor, played by Ian McDermott, especially when he's, like, taunting Luke. Like, there's something grandfatherly about him. It really puts you off. He's not this evil guy. He's kind of just laughing and goading you into doing things. Yeah, it's not what you'd think, like, He's kind of dressed the same as the evil witch from Snow White, but acts very differently.
0: I always got Linda Blair off of him. He really looks like Reagan possessed from The Exorcist.
3: And remember, I said they wanted to do that to Leia in the first film. Lucas had Exorcist influences. He wanted Leia to look like that. So maybe that's what they're going for. I never realized as a kid that this was makeup. I thought this was just a really old (sighs) dude. So you had a lot of strange (laughs) ideas as a child.
0: (laughs) Really? You really thought that there was a man walking around that was like that pale and scary?
3: Yes. <laughs> okay. But I love his laugh. The Emperor's laugh that they echo here. And just the confidence and the Royal Guards. Oh my God. How cool were they? The- imperials
2: they do nothing but like most things that become fan favorites in the star wars universe yeah they don't do a thing but everyone loves them
3: but that red outfit it's so badass
0: yeah what you're talking about is costume and, and visual design it's just very satisfying to see red introduced into the palette it's just not been here so all of a sudden to have this bright red amid all of this white and black is yeah it's just a grabber your eyes just can't help but just you know, make love to them. They're, they're, they look awesome. But you're right, we don't have a character that's one of them that does anything. They don't need to, it's just about the visual.
3: Yeah, and he's got those weird advisors in like the Catholic priest robes following him around. I mean, he has an air of menace. And again, like Stuart said last time, Vader bows to him. So you know, you've got the big bad here. And he's in play now, he's finally physical. In Star Wars, he was mentioned. In Empire, he was a hologram. Now he's here. We've brought him into play. We're really getting the pieces in place for the final showdown, and I can feel it. And John Williams' score for the Emperor, I swear that this is John Williams' best score of the entire saga. There may not be a single piece as iconic as the Imperial March or the opening Star Wars theme, but throughout, the orchestration, the depth of tone, the darkness in it, and the melodies and harmonies, this one is the one I listen to the most.
0: The score's good. I, I don't get much out of the Emperor. I don't know that I ever had. To me, he's about as good as Sauron. He's, he's kind of just like a big, creepy eye. You know what I mean? You just notice the eyes. You know he's the embodiment of evil. You know that he's pulling the strings on Vader. Yet I still respect Vader more. I still feel like ultimately he's scarier to me, at least in my childhood imaginings, which is why I could never go with the idea that he was a, a tortured, sad little man inside that suit. Yeah, I feel like characters I liked in Empire have kind of been diminished in this wrap-up here. And and Leia's one. Lando is definitely one. I didn't even remember what he did in this movie. And while it's cool he gets the Millennium Falcon back, I feel like he's doing the job that nobody else wanted to do. It's like, oh, I do not want to fly another ship through a Death Star. We can give it to that second-class citizen.
3: Well, he had that Battle of Tanab maneuver, but... It always bothered me as a kid. I'm like, but Han gets the Falcon back after, right? Lando's <laughs> not keeping the Falcon again, right? Because the Falcon's Han's ship.
2: That's been resolved, Arnie. In December, you'll. I think it's safe to say Han will get it back.
3: But I don't think Leia's another passenger. I mean, Luke goes along for that mission, too. They're the command team.
2: It feels like they're the command team to fly the ship. Han's got the military unit. He just needs people to help him pilot the ship, which seems odd. He hasn't even told Chewie about it. They all have to volunteer to go with him.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't imagine it's going to be that hard. They're breaking into a little base to turn off something. It doesn't seem like this is the harder mission. I'd rather, let me put it this way. I'd rather go to Endor and turn off the switch than fly a ship through the Death Star and shoot it at
3: the right spot. But keep in mind, they're all pretty much suicide missions. You've got troops on the ground. You've got ships in the air. The only hope they have is that it's a surprise attack, but it's not because the Emperor let them have all their information and killed some poor Bothans to make it believable.
2: I'm sure we'll get that solo movie.
3: I can't wait for Bothan knights. What are Bothans? Well, I wasn't sure what they were, When discussed in this movie, for decades I wondered, it turns out they're an alien species that kind of look like bipedal dogs. Oh, we haven't seen them.
2: No. But many of them died to bring us these plans.
3: Yeah. And this is also the introduction of
2: Admiral Akbar. It's a trap!
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the fish, goldfish guy, right? Uh,
3: Mon Calamari. Get it right. Really? It's calamari? Which makes me feel bad every time I order fried <laughs> calamari. <laughs> I think I'm eating Akbar's kids.
2: Kira, the eight-year-old who I've been showing to this to for the first time, just calls him Commander Sushi, and she loves eating sushi. So that's got to have some conflict there.
0: Oh, uh, we, you know what we, you know, it's the, the world we live in. We we don't understand that the animals that we love are the things that we're putting in our mouths. So I mean, it is it's always at a strange moment when you do.
3: There was supposed to be a much bigger plot around General Dean. He's the bearded guy who gives a big speech. He was supposed to have this whole subplot. They hire apparently an actor who'd worked before to be in this part and he was kind of mad that they cut him virtually out he gets this speech and we don't see him again
0: i don't even remember the speech
3: that you talk about i remember the fish guy (laughs) the fish guy comes back now what do you guys think about there just being another death star Good callback or too redundant? Because that's also a big skirmish among fans.
2: To me, it's redundant. And you said in the plot summary it's bigger. I've seen, yeah, that it actually is a lot bigger than the original Death Star. I don't get that from this film, but just because it's bigger, and I I think it looks cooler being half-constructed, but... Uh, I wish it was something different. This feels lazy to me.
0: Uh, I mean, you could make that case. I I guess maybe I'm just not invested enough either way. It's good enough. I mean, as the conclusion of a trilogy to bring it back to the things that were in the original makes enough sense. I mean- what are my alternatives if not another death star what was going to be the new plan i mean i would need to know what else was on the table before i could say what i prefer but the death star is good enough it's a known quantity we know what it can do when we see it under construction it looks cool and we know what they're building towards and so it's shorthand and uh it's all that i needed
2: I don't know, raid the Emperor's palace, go after him or something. Uh, What's the Empire going to do? The
0: Empire can't look like chumps.
3: I mean, they need to have a new thing. Well, initially, there were thoughts of going to Vader's palace on a lava planet. I mean, there were some early concepts going on here that we'll eventually get to. As far as a Death Star, because I grew up with this movie, I am perfectly fine with this being another Death Star. But when Kevin J. Anderson wrote his trilogy of books where there was a prototype Death Star, and later on in this series where there's Death Star-ish ships that also you shoot in one place and they blow up, it does get overworked. But here, I'm perfectly fine with Death Star 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, no issue, really. And then the next question is, how are you with teddy bears?
0: (laughs) Surprisingly pretty good. I don't think people think of me as cuddly, lovable, liking, you know, children entertainment. I've been pretty harsh on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and some of the more kidified movies that we've watched. But I know that Ewoks get a bad rep. And I remember feeling at some point in my childhood that I needed to make a stand against them to show that I was mature. I didn't like Ewoks, even though I really did. <laughs> I like them. I still like them.
2: You know what? I never had a problem with the Ewoks as a kid. I never felt the need to deny that <laughs> Ewoks were in a Star Wars film. Watching this now, maybe because I've grown up with this film, they are the least of my problems with this film. I, I don't have a problem with the Ewoks. You could say, oh, they're there to kiddify Star Wars. They're still going to eat people. Like, they're going to try to eat Han Solo. Yeah. They don't feel that kitty to me.
0: They're not that cute, really. I mean, they're kind of cute, but then, like, sometimes when you look at their face, it's like, eh, you're not cute. They're, like, pug cute, you know? Like, sometimes you're cute, and sometimes you're
3: just ugly. <laughs> I loved Ewoks as a kid. The toy I wanted as a kid, well, there were two, but one of the two Star Wars toys I wanted and just couldn't ever afford as a kid was one of the $20 stuffed Ewoks. (laughs) I watched the Ewoks cartoon both seasons. I just looked at them and I saw my German Shepherd and I wanted to pet an Ewok. So I've never had a problem with them. And the only problem I have with them now is on the Blu-ray, for some reason, they had to CGI their eyes and add eyelids. And it's creepy as hell. I didn't notice.
2: This is only stuff Lucas thinks of. Like, we're worried about story problems, story structure <laughs> in this film. And he's like, mm, well, I, uh, these creatures should really be able to blink. <laughs> Uh, It it
0: does seem like a weird preoccupation. Again, I didn't notice this detail. I'm sure if I went back with with looking for it, I'll, I'll see it. It'll be apparent, but I didn't notice that they did anything to their eyes.
3: But these were intended to be like the Yoda surprise of this movie. They were blacked out on the back of toy cards. They were the secret weapon that would help the Rebels go to victory. And the one thing Lucas really didn't want spoiled...
0: Well, everything was spoiled to me. I read the book or had the book (laughs) read to me, so uh, I knew what was coming.
2: Well, I love the build up to Wicket, the first Ewok we're gonna see. Probably my outside of the Jabba stuff, my favorite thing, though yes, they look dated now, the effects, but those speeder bikes loved those as a kid. And you know, you get this whole chase with the scout troopers, there they see the rebels and they run off and Leia and Luke go after them. I love I just love the concept of there's motorcycles, those are cool, but these are speeder bikes, they go even faster.
3: Oh, this scene Always felt so fast to me, the way it was filmed, and the size of the trees up there in Northern California, they were so huge and otherworldly. Yeah, sequoias. Now I do look at it and go, wow, this is some more bad matting, but certain shots of it are still magical.
2: There's certain shots that hold up, but yeah, overall, it doesn't look great.
0: No, this looks bad, and I'm not an effects snob, but it it looked bad then,
3: it still kind of looks bad. And once again, I mentioned every movie Ben Burt has his moment to shine. Did you guys notice no score here? Just the sound of the engines whining and the speeder and the lightsabers and the blasters. I never noticed it until I went back and started looking for it.
2: Now that you mention, I do realize I mean, I love all the sounds of Star Wars almost. Like it Ben Burt, don't listen to his commentary tracks on this original trilogy. They're not exciting, but his sounds are great.
0: Yeah, they almost work like music. They're a perfect accompaniment. I didn't notice it, and I guess that's a big compliment.
3: I do like the fight, though. I like the way it goes to different levels. They're shooting with handguns, and then Luke falls off and has to cut the nose off one with a lightsaber. And one is so stupid that he looks back because he knocked off Princess Leia, and he runs right into a tree. Mm -hmm. That's fun. It's the best video game on TV. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's fun the way it's staged, but you, you do wish that it looked less like a uh, blue screen.
3: Yeah, the entire landing on Endor, it's kind of weird, though, because they land with a like, squad of troops. And then when Leia gets knocked off and Luke comes back and she's not there, they just send the troops away.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're like, go to the Imperial base. We'll meet you there at 0300 hours.
3: Yeah, sometimes there's I feel
0: like there's a lot of rebels there, and sometimes I just feel like there's four.
2: Yeah,
3: they have the troop, they tell them to go ahead to the base, and yet they keep 3PO around.
2: I don't even know why 3PO is there. R2, I get, they're going to need his little prods, perhaps, to get into this base, but why do they need 3PO?
3: Worst camouflage. Well, anywhere R2 goes, 3PO
2: needs to go to translate.
0: Yeah, it's a package deal, right? You, You can't have one without the other.
2: R2 seems to understand basic, they just, I guess, can't understand him.
3: Yeah. And he was taken along to find Leia because they wanted to use his scanners. And again, all they'd hear is poop, poop, if 3PO wasn't there to say, we need to go southeast.
2: I'm just saying, throw a camouflage net over C-3PO or something. This big, shiny, golden dude in the forest, totally going to give you away.
0: Yeah, but that's also what gets them out of hot water because the Ewoks, obviously, they worship gold. Uh, They think R2's nothing. I think they will try to eat him, too.
2: (laughs) He is tied up, yeah. (laughs) This stuff was fun as a kid, and I still... You, Arnie, you talked about with Empire, you think there's a lag in the middle here. I feel like there's a lag between Tatooine and when the final battle really starts. Oh, yeah.
0: This is the worst lag
3: in the series. Oh, we'll get to Phantom Menace, but. but... I'm sorry, in the trilogy, in this trilogy. <laughs> but I don't think the lag is that bad here because we have the speeder bike and then we get like 10 minutes before we get more fighting. It is pretty quick. I was surprised how little time is spent on human conversation in this movie when I watched it this time. No, I've I've
2: been feeling the lag since Dagobah, to be honest. And there are little moments like the speeder bikes, or I do love Han interacting with the Ewoks. He's just so brash and pushing their spears out of the way because they're spears. Of course you're going to push them out of the way.
3: And he's ready to shoot
0: them. I remember looking at the counter 37 minutes and going, wow, that was fast for Jabba. And then it just feels like it's forever. The rest of this movie just feels like part of it's just not as much fun. And then just part of it is, yeah, the
3: movie kind of peach. No, not at all for me. I'm really into this. I love the Ewok village. I like seeing Princess Leia there. Why didn't they try to eat her? I mean, she looks tasty. Because she's
2: pretty.
0: And they, she had already made a friend. I mean, you know, that they, they had already sort of formed this alliance. They knew that she was against the Empire.
3: And when she went to the Ewok village, they immediately did her hair and sewed her a dress. <laughs> But yeah, I'm having fun with this. Anthony Daniels is doing great as C-3PO here. I didn't know I had it in me. He's carrying this. I thought he was a little too much at times in Empire. When the big dramatic scene is happening with Han getting in carbonite and 3PO's, Chewbacca, turn around! I thought, shut up, 3PO. But here he's really working to cut the tension as they're trying to cook Han, and Han's blowing out the fire. I'm laughing I'm smiling. I'm having a lot of fun and I'm loving the Ewoks and 3PO wins them over by making sound effects and telling them the whole life story and about he I should learn to do plot summaries from 3PO. That's all I'm saying.
2: <laughs> I got to say the Ewoks are very bad followers of their deity like C 3 feel, hey, let these guys go. And they just totally ignore them. And Luke's got to do a Jedi trick and make them elevate before they'll listen to their golden god.
0: Yeah, that's fun. I Yeah, all this stuff is good. But at the same time, I'm looking at the counter. I'm like, there's an hour left of this movie at this point.
2: I agree, Stuart. I agree. An hour.
0: I mean, my God, you got your guys. Like, no, go do the raid and be done in the next
3: 30, 40 minutes. Not bothering me, because I want there to be the time for the emotional moments. Now, there's one moment that just doesn't work for me. Carrie Fisher in this movie, I think that Leia is written to do stuff... But this is the moment where Carrie Fisher turned from the woman she was to the woman she will be. When I watch Star Wars and Empire, I don't see Carrie Fisher from when Harry met Sally in there. But in Jedi, all of a sudden it happened. She turned. I'm not going to say it's the result of chemicals. I'm not going to say it's not. But something happened there.
2: No, you keep alleging it's chemicals. (laughs) You could try to go back on that, but you've been alleging that a lot. Hey,
3: her words. I'm not alleging anything. She herself has talked about alleging. electroshock therapy and heavy drug use.
2: Well, whatever she's doing, I feel it here, especially when she's supposed to be having this emotional moment with Luke and he's Mm. revealing how they're siblings and Mm -hmm. she is bad.
3: Yeah, she is truthfully not great in this film. And here she is. Close to ruinous in the scene. Hamill isn't exactly selling it well, but Yeah, don't put it all on Leia. He's once again acting opposite a puppet, so it's gotta be hard for him. But (laughs) that scene, it's like there should be this big revelation. I'm your brother, and she barely even reacts. It's like they didn't even want us to really link that he's telling Leia, hey, you know, your lost daddy, he blew up your planet. You know, I think all of this
0: is very helpful for us getting to root for Han because when Harrison Ford walks in after they finish, yeah, these terrible melodramatics, (laughs) uh, I I do feel like it's like, Oh yeah, this is the guy you should be with. He makes you better. I like Leia when she's around Han. She's got some spice. She feels human when she's around Luke and they get in this like rhapsodic. Yeah. It's just kind of horrible to watch. I'm like, yeah, as a couple, you two are really bad. Thank God you're related.
3: Yeah, but that entire speech, my sister has it. It's you, Leia. It should resonate more than it does. It's a combination of everything. There's nothing working in that scene. Direction, script writing, acting, they're all failing that
2: scene. Yeah. The teaser trailer for episode seven, where they do those lines, I don't know if they took it from this, or I think they redid them because they have more emotional impact in that trailer than they do in this actual film. Oh, wait.
0: That's the lines from the trailer in episode seven. Yeah, yeah my
2: it, father
3: has it. Oh, I have to yeah, see that, that again. I didn't recognize it. And that's. They must be redone because this. They are redone because the reason they did them is to confuse us fans, thinking, "Oh, they're again using dialogue from an old movie. They're hitting our nostalgia." And then he adds lines to it. It's like, "Oh, this is new." Okay, I didn't even realize
0: it was connected. But again, this scene's so awful, you don't want to remember it. It really is a low point in the trilogy.
3: But yet it's so important that it comes up again and again for Star Wars fans who read the comics, read the books, etc. Because this is a key reveal in the Star Wars saga. And yeah, it just, the movie doesn't sell it well. I think that's one of the reasons why it keeps getting revisited is because authors are like, I could fix some of that.
0: Well, yeah, it begs a lot of questions. We will not get explained in the rest of this movie. I'm like, how hiding her identity, but was Luke's identity hidden? And again,
2: he was still a Skywalker, but
0: why hasn't she had a scene with Vader since the first movie? You know, it just so much of it feels like they're telling me this is the way it is, but it doesn't feel true. I believe that they're brother and sister, but I never believe that she's Darth Vader's daughter.
3: No, they don't even mention that. It's said in a roundabout way, but at some point you would think Princess Leia would be like, wait, who's my daddy?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there should be that moment of realization. But right after this, Luke turns himself in to the Empire. Vader's there to collect them. And Luke is like, I know there's good in you. And Vader acknowledges, you know it's too late for me, son. Like, I would have loved that point where he realizes he has a daughter and has to confront Leia. Like, that is the ending this is building up to that we are not going to get.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure how to make this work. It would feel strange to have them tag team Darth Vader. I can't admit that if Luke like went and hit the Emperor and she went after Vader, that wouldn't be something we'd enjoy. But you want her to have more than what she does. You want her to do more than play around in the woods with Ewoks.
3: <laughs> and Luke just leaves her there it's like oh you're my sister you're gonna have to learn the force but i'm gonna go and intentionally be captured by vader now so he goes on what he thinks is a suicide mission he says soon i'll be dead and you with me Ah. he thinks that he's going to the station as a distraction to distract the emperor he doesn't know the emperor knows the attack is coming and so he thinks he will die on that station confronting vader and the emperor
0: so he's doubting himself. That's interesting. I, I That suddenly rang a bell as you were explaining that. So that's why he turns himself in and leaves. It's not that he wants to go fight. It's that he wants to make way for his sister to become what he hasn't lived up to be.
2: There's also some lines when they're in that shuttle and they're trying to give the Imperials the code. He's like, Vader has sensed me. I'm endangering the mission. He does feel like he wants to get away from everyone that, yeah, he could distract Vader. So Vader is focused on Luke instead of the rest of them. He, I think he does get that sense that yeah, he needs to pull distract. Yeah, too yeah, late. I mean,
0: yeah. He's like, oh, they'll figure out where you're at if I'm around you. I'm like, they already know.
2: yeah they i mean the emperor knows the one thing the emperor doesn't know though which i found interesting he doesn't get the sense that luke is with them vader is the one that says my son is down there the emperor did not foresee that
3: oh that's true and i love that because it's the first time the emperor is not seeing something he's like Are you sure your feelings on this are clear? Like, I can't be wrong, so you must be wrong. But it is that blindness to Vader's connection with his son that is going to be the Emperor's undoing. And I stand by, when this climax comes, any one person could die and the other two would be happy. Because the Emperor could die, but if Luke's to the dark side, Vader's the new Emperor and Luke's the new Vader, Vader could die and the Emperor's happy because he has now a younger, stronger apprentice who's not more machine than man. I mean, really, it's kind of a win-win for evil.
0: Yeah, I do like that. I, I I didn't really think about it in that terms, but you're right. The Emperor just wants to have a buddy, and he's happy to have the, the two candidates fight it out. It's like an episode of The Bachelor.
2: Maybe, Stuart, you could provide some insight, because I am so blinded by the prequel Rule of Two that I don't know if I ever got the sense that, Only Luke or Vader could go with the Emperor. Maybe they could all be buddies. They could just turn to the dark side. I don't think it was until later on where they came up with some rules that I realized that, oh, only one of these guys can live and stick with the Emperor. Did you feel like there could only be one winner or could this turn into a threesome?
0: Well, I, as a child, I never understood the distinction, but yeah, in watching it this time and only this time, I realized that, yeah, it was a contest. It was like, okay, I'm going to pit you two against each other. May the best man win. I get the sense he'd like a new person. Maybe he's a little bored with Vader, you know, he's always rasping and he just, he's kind of a dark cloud. You'd want someone with a little more fun. I guess that's Luke.
3: And he's killing all the senior officers. You got to think that there's... Yeah, we're tired of your shit. But I always got that as a kid. The Emperor says, take your father's place at my side. Mm -hmm. And because Luke is wearing the glove, because his hand got shot on Tatooine, so now he's wearing a black glove, which to me at age eight, again, I thought robots could have babies. He's turning into Vader. (laughs) One article of clothing at a time, I guess, but... Mm
2: -hmm. I just thought it was cool because I was really into Michael Jackson, and he wore one glove. (laughs) But I
3: love this showdown. I love the dialogue between Luke and Vader. When I was a kid, and hell, sometimes to this day, when Luke turns himself into Vader, and he's like, that's why you won't take me to your emperor. That's why you won't kill me now. And Vader ignites that lightsaber. I'm like, he's just going to kill him for saying that. He is going (laughs) to kill him now. I mean, that is a suspenseful moment. This is perhaps my favorite interplay. Well, Han and Leia on the Falcon and Empire. This is my second favorite interplay. In the entire saga Hmm. is happening right here between those three characters.
2: It's good. This may be my favorite saber battle just because the stakes are so high. There is so much emotion. You know, these Jedis aren't supposed to have emotion. You're not supposed to feel anger. But you feel Luke giving in. Like that moment where he realizes that it's a trap and the force field is still up, and the Emperor's laughing. He grabs that saber with the force and ignites it. Like, just a great moment. So powerful. I love... it. It's not the best choreographed fight, but there's so much emotion in it.
3: But they did take David Prowse out of that suit and get a stuntman who could do some saber swings, though. It is the best choreographed fight of the original trilogy.
2: Yeah, not saying a whole... I don't know. I I like that one in Empire, but yeah, probably right.
3: But there was a lot of box throwing and jumping in that one. This one was a lot of deft ducks and swings and spins. And Vader chucks that lightsaber and cuts down an entire catwalk.
2: Yeah. And what I really like, you said this score is the best out of this original trilogy. I still think I prefer Empire more, but while this saber battle's going on, there's the battle on Endor with the Ewoks joining in. There's this whole space battle with Lando and Admiral Ackbar. I love the music here, the like the staccato and I I love that piece of music.
3: Yeah, that piece is into the trap and my only problem with it is it's not longer. Yes. That da 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 Oh my god, that's one of the reasons this is my favorite music of the
2: saga. That's so great. But I like how with Star Wars we had this whole fight on the Death Star, then we had to go to another set piece, and then we're going to have attack on the Death Star. I love how there's three battles all going on. I love this space battle. It's my favorite of the original trilogy. Just all the TIE fighters coming out and attacking. You find out the Death Star is actually operational, and it's blowing up these huge space frigates. Uh, uh, the stuff on Endor I'm not so absorbed with, but I love the space battle and the lightsaber battle going on.
3: What's interesting to me is the progression. Because I I said when we reviewed a new hope the lightsaber battle could have been the end lightsaber battles are always at the end but we had a lightsaber battle then we had a space battle in empire we had a dual climax we had a dog fight and a lightsaber fight happening at the same time now they've gone from one to two to three we've got a land battle a space battle and a lightsaber battle all happening at once it's great and yeah you guys have dogged on the effects here but this space battle, they did not CGI this up for the special edition. These are models, these are mats, these are 20, 40 models all matted into the same frame, giving such tremendous depth. I can't think there is any special effect as of this movie's release, that has so many ships flying at the same time. It is incredible now. I was watching this on my home theater, and I'm just wowed by the detail on these ships, the physical models. You feel the reality, and it looks great.
2: Yeah, I'm enjoying all the different styles. What are these, the TIE Interceptors? Now, with their different wing formation, you got A-wings, B-wings, Y-wings, X-wings, like so many different ships, Star Destroyers, Super Star Destroyers. Frigates. and Yeah, it feels so massive. And to think that this, yeah, was all done with models and we've dogged a lot of special effects. But you're right. This space fight is really, really good.
0: Uh, You know, it's the stuff I never care about, though. You're right. It does look the best. I just kind of zone out whenever with with Lando and whatever the guy with the skin folds is. Nine-num. Come on. You know, before I thought I had just peaked too soon. With Star Wars, I'm like, I don't need this attack on the Death Star because the lightsaber battle with Obi-Wan wore me down. Now I just realize I don't care about space battles. That the dog fighting just that's just something i never have really cared about so sorry lando you just drew the short straw it's of the 3 it's my least favorite part even though probably technically speaking it is the best of the 3
3: indoor at least they have ad ads I'd say that the lightsaber battle is the best of the three. The space battle, it's the best looking of the three, but there's no emotional stakes. Lando hasn't done anything. We've never seen Nine Numb. We are told by the calamari puppet again and again, the stakes of this battle, but we're told, not shown. And it's on Endor that we're supposed to have a more meaningful battle because they lose Han, Leia. They're all completely captured, and if it wasn't for the short help better than no help at all, everything would have been different.
2: I feel like they're all losing at this point. I mean, the force field is still up so that's why they have to engage in this space battle they can't attack the Death Star which is operational and firing upon them but Stuart you said this land battle on Endor that they have ADATs no those are ATSTs or chicken walkers no. there is an AT. there's one but it's not fighting
3: it's an AT that takes Luke to Vader but yes the rest are the ATSTs the less cool siblings of the ATAT and I love those things I did have one of those toys this a kid. I liked the way they walked.
2: Yeah, you can push that button and make it walk
3: around. I love the way they blow up when the Ewoks attack. They have rocks that hit them. They have logs that crush their heads. The stop-motion Ray Harry housing of the one that trips on the logs still is bad, and they should CGI that on the next edition.
2: I thought it had some charm. It reminded me of Ed 209 falling down <laughs> the stairs in Robocop. <laughs> yeah,
3: it did. They have not... I think it's probably the same puppeteers, but... <laughs> You know, they
0: and they do kill an Ewok here. I don't know his name. I didn't really feel anything, but...
2: I don't know if that one has a name. I was naming all the ones that I, that I had toys of, but I don't think that one did get a toy. Nanta. Oh, okay. There you go.
0: Well, yeah, I'll pour a 40 out for him next time. But uh, I didn't really, you know, cry or anything. Even as a kid, I don't think I cried. But I thought it was impacting that these cute teddy bears could die, that they give as much as anybody else.
3: Yeah, but it bothered me for a while. I'm over it now. But there was a period of my life where it really bothered me that only one Ewok died. And we spent so much time mourning that Ewok. Everything comes to a halt now. When I was eight, I wept repeatedly <laughs> at that Ewok dying. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember you crying. But then, well, again, you weren't anywhere near me in the theater. Oh, I have no right. clue where you went. I was in a yeah. galaxy far, far away.
2: You didn't go all thirteen times with him, Stuart. That's yeah. true.
3: And I cried probably for ten of them, but. It bothered me later that only one Ewok gives his life. And sure, it's been said, maybe more died off screen. But if more died off screen, why do we see one body and spend 30 seconds crying over
2: it? I think it's representative. of He's representing yeah. all the Ewoks who died. It, kids are loving these little teddy bears. I don't think you want to show them, like, murdered and Their guts spilling out, Saving Private Ryan style all over this (laughs) battlefield.
0: Yeah, one is enough to feel the power. If we saw a massacre, if we saw them being stomped on by these whatever mini-at-ats are, I I think that would be too much. That would be a bridge too far. It's fine that we see one die, and I assume that there was more than one. And it was good to include that. I think that it humanizes that struggle, which could otherwise look a little too cutesy.
3: Well, I'm over my anger about one dead Ewok now, but there's one part of the Endor battle that I just, it irks me is when they're doing this counterattack with the Ewoks and Han's trying to hotwire his way into the door. And all of a sudden Han's a buffoon and the Imperials get them. Leia has a gun and they just have to reverse that. I love you. I know. And it just so doesn't work here. It takes the power of that. I love you. I know from Best spin and just makes it now a cheesy call and repeat.
2: Oh, I liked it.
3: Where does that even happen?
2: When they're trying to hotwire the bunker to get in. And the
3: Imperials come, and Leia shows shit. Oh, that's a callback. I didn't even realize that, where she gets the gun or whatever and turns around. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. He tells her he loves her, and she says, I know. Oh. That is not appropriate for that circumstance. Oh, I thought he was telling he loves her because she was going to be the one firing.
0: I, I thought it was a strange moment. It's weird. I'll give you that.
2: I, I always took it. Yeah, I love you. You got spunk. Like, here we yeah. are, and you got the gun. Yeah. That's the kind of thing Han Solo will say I love you over. No, he's going to be frozen. He's not going to say I love you. But yeah, the girl's going to be tough. That's when he's feeling that love.
3: I'm fine with that. It's the I know that doesn't really work. It's
2: Oh, I, I, like, I like the callback.
3: No, it was so powerful last time that to do this callback under this weak-ass circumstance undermines it.
2: I feel like everything is weak-ass in this one compared to Empire.
3: But yes, they are victorious on the ground with the help of the Ewoks and
2: it, well, Chewie gets an ATST of his own, and that's what really turns it around.
3: Yeah, him and two Ewoks decide to pilot it, which makes me wonder: how do the other Ewoks know not to log that one to death?
2: I, I just think it's funny that the Ewoks, for being so primitive, they, one figures out how to ride a speeder bike. They figure out the ATST. There's even a shot of one like holding a blaster. We don't ever see him shoot it, but
3: I don't think they ever figured things out. Just because you jump on a speeder and hit some buttons
2: doesn't mean you're a pilot. I'm surprised he got it to go in the first place.
3: Well, that's what the Imperials get for leaving the keys in the ignition. (laughs) But up in space, after that shield generator blows up in a spectacular explosion, it's time for Lando and Wedge, Wedge, the unsung hero of the Rebellion.
2: I noticed it this time. Yes, I noticed Wedge is there fighting. He
3: gets to take out the tower while Lando takes out the main reactor. I don't know what the tower does, but it's important because Wedge does it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, I I don't I didn't notice. So Wedge was the same guy. It, it wasn't just that he looked like the same guy. That actually is the same guy from the first movie.
3: And the second one. Yes, and he's been promoted. Yeah, he fought in all three battles. Oh, he what? He found Han in the second one? No, that was Rogue Two. Oh. He was fighting the Adats. He was the one with the first harpoon. Okay,
2: I've said it's lazy to have a second Death Star, but I do like how they've changed it up. I like it when they're like flying through the piping of this thing, and you know, see the Falcon. It gets its satellite dish knocked off, and we had that line earlier. You know, not a scratch, but there you go. I I like that they've upped the stakes at least. It's not doing the exact same thing. It feels like it's a tougher mission.
0: Yeah, I don't really notice it either way, but it looks better. I will say that it's dramatically more colorful and more visual stimulating than the trenches.
3: And while that's all going on, Luke is having his final showdown with Vader, and he throws down his lightsaber. He has overcome his impulses to the dark side, and he didn't listen to Yoda when Yoda said, don't underestimate the Emperor's powers because who knew that he could just shoot lightning out of his fingers
2: (laughs) well I do love you know you're you're talking about callbacks he defeats Vader you know basically cuts off his hand which Vader did to him I love that moment though when he looks at Vader's arm with the wires coming out looks at his gloved hand and that's when he realizes I gotta quit and uh, I'm turning into my father I think it's a powerful moment maybe a little obvious but I'd like that he doesn't at least verbalize it like they've done so much throughout this trilogy it's just it's that look but
3: Yeah, it's very realistic because there are moments where I realize I'm becoming my father and I don't verbalize it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's what makes the Emperor such a tough guy. He doesn't even need a saber. They're going to ruin this with the prequels. But here, yeah, he doesn't need a weapon. He busts out Sith lightning.
0: I didn't ever realize until this viewing that it was his lightning that killed Vader. Like he's here torturing Luke. And Vader gets enough and picks him up and throws him out. And that, like, lightning actually hits the Vader helmet. And we see, like, a skeleton or something.
3: Yeah, Yeah, we see the skull underneath. It always freaked me out as a kid when Luke was getting it. You could see the lightning on the roof of his mouth. I'm like, oh, my God, the lightning's inside of him. It made my anus clench up.
0: Yeah, no, it is horrible (laughs) to watch. It feels incredibly violent to watch Luke writhing on the ground, screaming in pain the way he does.
2: In the way he says, "Father" screams out to him. Yeah. It, yeah, it's
3: kind of a lame power that it takes so long to kill somebody with lightning, though. You'd think. Well, that
2: I, t- I took it as he's playing with him. He's torturing him. He wants him to hurt. Possibly. He could have taken him out at any point. And
3: I'm fine with Vader's redemption and s- throwing the Emperor down. What I'm not fine with is in the Blu-ray edition when he yells, "No, no!" Wait, when does he do that? I thought, he w- I thought that was always in it.
0: I was like, oh, so that's setting the precedent for episode three.
3: No, this was added after episode three. Oh. At when Luke is getting those last... Lightning bolts. Vader just goes, no.
2: Oh, that's awful. That's awful. I love how he's <laughs> silent and you see the reflection of the lightning off of his helmet and you see him, like, looking back and forth between the two. You don't need any verbalization, much less this awful no. It's so much powerful that it's done in silence.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. And... Yet, this is what they've done.
0: Uh, You know what? We'll talk about no when we get to episode three.
3: (laughs) But no, we're talking about it here because they've added that ugly line. They really...
0: I didn't have a problem with it at all. It made me think about episode three.
2: That should be a problem.
3: (laughs) It made me feel better about episode three. But the fact that it's retroactively inserted to call back... To the one embarrassing moment of episode three. One embarrassing moment.
2: Well, no, they're going to call back to more embarrassing things from the episode three and the other prequels by the end of this film.
3: Yeah, we'll
0: get to the prequels when we do, but it's a change at least that makes sense. He's trying to make connections to the prequels that I don't know when I watch the prequels I will feel... Otherwise. But uh, yeah, so the lightning hits him in the head as he's throwing Emperor, you know, over it, where, whatever that is.
2: I think it also just shorts out his suit, which is basically an iron lung. Ah, uh,
0: okay, sure. I do like it better now. I mean, obviously, when they took off the mask and, and he wasn't scary, my child mind couldn't process that. I was not ready to accept what even this title is about. I mean, they're telling you in the title, "Returning this Jedi
3: to the good side is what they're trying to do. No, here. no. I always took it as the Jedi are returning because Luke is now a Jedi.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you go, uh, everyone knows this, this was supposed to be called originally revenge of the Jedi, which I think specifically calls out Luke. And yeah, you still think of it when you hear return of the Jedi. At least I think of Luke like you, Arnie.
3: Actually, when I first heard the title, I really thought that, hidden Jedi like Obi-Wan were going to come out and fight a battle and Luke was going to just watch on the sidelines. I don't know what. I was seven.
0: This is not about Luke's returning to the screen. This is about returning Vader to where he was before. To Anakin. He's now Mm -hmm. a Jedi again. I mean, now he's
2: like
3: the guy that he was before.
2: No. Well, that's because you're watching the special edition. Yeah.
3: This return of the Jedi was Luke. And now that the Jedi returned, he was able to bring Vader back. I mean, Yoda declares 30 minutes into the movie. No more training do you require. But you won't be a Jedi until you confront Vader. He confronts Vader. He is now a Jedi. He's returned.
0: Okay, to each their own, but uh, I I I recognize now that it's important that we see a frail man who looks upon his son with love, and we have this moment. As disappointing as it was in all <laughs> the viewings I had as a childhood, I accept it now completely. It's it's what they need to do. I don't know that he needs to look like a Santaran, but oh well.
2: Well they yeah, they you again you saw the special editions where they take off his eyebrows. Yeah, he
3: had big bushy eyebrows in the original. I wanted to know when he turned British. When did James Earl Jones become a <laughs> British man? But I wanted to see what was under that mask. I was dying to see what was under Vader's mask. And so when it pulled it off, I'm like, Oh, so that's what was under there the whole time. It blew my mind when somebody told me there were like five people who playing darth vader there was one in the suit there was one doing the voice there was one with the
2: mask off you thought it was an old wrinkly white guy the whole time yeah i i did yeah i i think as a kid that's a little bit of a letdown now it, you're you're right Stuart. it makes sense is this ultimate evil is this frail little guy that's just your dad and you're trying to reconcile things with him i, I think there's a powerful message there
3: yeah well i'm just glad they didn't CGI paste Hayden Christensen's face on there there were rumors there were rumors that they were going to get Hayden in some age makeup or CGI age him and put his face there no they instead do it later on the force ghosts arrive now originally the same guy who was in that suit shows up as a kindly old man in Jedi robes standing next to Yoda and Obi-Wan but now they've replaced poor Sebastian Shaw and put in Hayden Christensen with this evil leer, yeah. like I'm gonna fuck the Jedi in the afterlife now.
0: <laughs> I I don't know where you're getting all these projected evil leers and awful. Oh
3: no no, it looks evil. It does. He's like looking like a child molester, up with the eyes staring and this weird grin. He does not look like a kindly Jedi. He looks like the evil guy. Why can't you have the old man? I No, I'll tell you why,
0: Arnie, because I never understood who the hell that was as a kid. I'm like, what is that person standing next to Yoda and Obi-Wan? I never really got that that was supposed to be Vader before he was Vader. That was Anakin.
2: But putting Hayden Christensen, who we have not seen up to this point, makes sense. Like, I got that. Yeah, that's his dad. And I got to think of Luke. Like, who is this guy that's like my age standing there? Why is he here crashing the party with my mates?
3: Yeah, but keep in mind, Lucas now says the only way to watch the saga is one, two, three, four, five, six. Lucas is wrong. And so, in the old method, when there were only four, five, six, Hayden Christensen, this would be the first time seeing him. But if you now follow Lucas's. Decree that you watch one, two, three, four, five, six, which obviously we don't because we're not going through them that way.
2: And no one should because why would you want to ruin the surprise and empire for someone watching it for the first time? Yeah.
3: And so it is weird to have him here. Lucas has gone on record and said that the Force Ghost is the age you were when you died. And since Vader killed Anakin, it's Anakin's spirit who goes. Into the afterlife, which makes me wonder why I feel like Obi-Wan would be standing there like, wait, you get a young body. Why am I not Ewan McGregor? Why can't I be limber in the afterlife?
2: Even that explanation is like ruins the redemption arc. For Vader, like, no, before he died, he turned to good again. He had a deathbed confession, and he became Anakin again. He became the father again. So why wouldn't you just return to that?
3: But his body didn't disappear. There had to be a funeral pyre. The good Jedi, Obi-Wan, Yoda, their bodies disappeared. Vader was just a corpse. Luke had to burn him.
2: That's going to be even more complicated with the prequels because no one disappears. And
3: and isn't
0: your anger about this really that you're sitting here saying, Oh, Hayden Christensen is acting wrong in this two seconds and all of this. Aren't you just mad that they're trying to tell you that this original trilogy is deeply connected with the trilogy we're yet to cover. That obviously is not as near and dear to any of
3: your hearts. No, not at all. I, honestly think it is as near and dear to my heart it's a matter of tact it's a matter of the convinceability of it i kind of like the jedi rock song but i completely <laughs> disagree you like the Jedi, lo- oh. just kind of <laughs> but i completely hate the cgi that went into it and here you put hayden there well if hayden could act at all and we will rip on him later but if he could just look like a nice guy For three seconds.
2: I think they just took a headshot from one of the prequels and pasted it on here. Did he even show up to do these shots?
3: They refilmed Ian McDermott during the time of episode three. Rumor has it that, yes, they said, Hayden, come over here on this blue screen for a moment. Smile. Look happy to see your son. All right, you're done.
0: I will say this. Even having... Not have the one, two, and three episodes freshly in my mind. Having Hayden coming in here did not feel that jarring. I would just presume if this were the first time I was watching this story that that was who he was. It's no more jarring than the actor that they had in the original, Sebastian Shaw, you're saying. To me, what's more upsetting is Jub-Jub. I mean, or Chub-Chub or whatever Y-nyub, the hell it yub, is. Yub.
3: Yub, with an N. Whatever. Yub, yub. Now, the irony
0: is, of course, if they had kept it in, I'd be like, this is a dumbass song. But the fact that they replaced it with this crap, this Kataro New Age crap...
3: I mean, this is some pure mood
0: (laughs) that they got going in here.
3: Well, this is John Williams, but he was instructed to do it because in the original version, we only partied on Endor. But with the special edition, they wanted to go and show the galaxy celebrating. So we went back to Tatooine. We went back to Bespin.
2: Tatooine on the outer rim why are they celebrating <laughs>
3: someplace aqua there was i think new york was in there at some no, point. no well that's coruscant, coruscant. Okay. and keep in mind what i said earlier in a previous show where it's hypothesized that lucas took 20th century fox money to build digital assets for the next movie and here's coruscant which really makes that scene not the End of this trilogy anymore, but the first scene of the next trilogy episodes one through three, and then finally for the Blu-rays, they even take us back to Naboo where you hear Jar Jar uh, a free. We's
2: a free. Uh, awful, awful. Here's my problem is I'm just thinking about the logistics. We just blew up the Death Star two. We're on this like little remote forest planet. How is this information spread? Is this years later when they they broken down the infrastructure of the Empire? That you know there's still troops. There's still just it's not like you kill one guy and it's all over. This is a galactic empire. It's just trying to sum it up too nicely. It's my problem with Star Wars with the medal ceremony times a thousand. But Star
3: Wars is a simplistic storytelling structure, it's a fairy tale. Fine. They radioed home, and they're celebrating this victory, and there's too many of them for the Imperials to stop them. Fine. But back to the music change, the reason it can't be Nyub Nyub is because it's no longer an Ewok celebration. It's a galactic celebration. So Lucas went to Williams and said, okay, write me a galactic celebration. Williams was like, well, I got a problem because I see Ewoks dancing to it. So I have to match this tempo and create new music and this is what he did.
0: Yeah, it's horrible. It may be the worst music he's ever produced. It's seriously, it's it's quite terrible.
3: It's so much better than Jurassic Park 2.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm willing to say that. Although he did have bongos. Hmm. <laughs> I have to think about it. I'm telling you, this isn't that bad, but... No, it's really, really bad. You need to understand this is a terrible, terrible song that ruins the mood.
2: Yeah, it does. I like the celebratory. There's
0: nothing celebratory about this. This sounds. No,
2: no, no, nothing about this one. This is somber and awful it, it is an awful piece can
3: you imagine putting this on at any party you've ever had ever i kind of like the melody wow i don't find the problems with it you do it just doesn't have the nostalgic connection yub yub does to me so
0: they'd have done better to have john bon jovi perform what do you give a wookie for christmas he was only a
3: backup singer on that but <laughs>
0: yeah you know. wow
2: you you got some depth being uh newbie to this series Oh, i Stewart. know
0: stupid trivia like that <laughs> And I did have that. I think I had the record. I know I made Chewbacca
2: chewy. They were delicious. Do you know what to get a ch- Wookiee that already has a comb? Uh What What do you get him? I don't know. A brush. Huh? A brush.
3: That's Or love and understanding, depending on which verse you go.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. There you go. I was like, I figured you'd give him Christmas cheer or something.
3: Well, no, really, they say a brush. But then there's let's give him love and understanding. <laughs> okay. Goodwill to man.
0: Well, let's just agree that neither one of these is the best musical moment in this whole
2: franchise.
3: Well, they wrapped it up. Why don't we, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Return of the Jedi, Jacob?
2: I think it's obvious from what we've discussed on the show that, no, this is not my favorite one. This has a lot of problems. Are they ruinous? Well, the effects feel like a step down. There's a few great shots like that space battle at the end that we've talked about. But for the most part, it looks really shoddy watching it today as a kid. Totally bought into everything. Not so much now. And this story is just so thin to me. We've talked a long time about it. I'm not sure how. But, like, the Jabba stuff is great. That's only a half hour. And then, like, take a nap. And then when all the fighting starts, you get those three battles at the end, wake up. And that's exciting. That's, like, how I feel like I would watch this film now is get up and do something in the middle hour because there's just so little going on. But it's still a fun movie. That Again, that Jabba stuff is great. I like the speeder bike chase. I like, you know, some of the Ewok stuff is fun. I love the walklings. They're just so adorable. The way they cower Aww, during the story. I
3: do love them. <laughs>
2: So there's still stuff here to like. It's problematic, though. I I think the way I feel about this is the way maybe Stuart felt about the original Star Wars. Like, okay, yeah, if, if this wasn't a Star Wars film, if this was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, maybe I would be a bit more critical here. But I like the imagery. We talked about The Royal Guards and, you know, just different things like that. Lucas, for all his problems with telling a story, he is a great visual director and he comes up with things that I like looking at, even if I might not like the acting or the dialogue so much. But this is for the original trilogy. The low point for me, and it's still a recommend though. It's not a strong one, but yeah, I recommend it. There's fun stuff in this one, Stewart.
0: Yeah, and I think it's so much better than its reputation or my memory gives it credit for. I was prepared to not like this one. I remember thinking that, you know, when I saw it in the '90s, that this was like, oh, they've they've jumped the shark. They're too many Muppets, and it's just it's gotten too discombobulated. Not true at all. I actually think that it's kind of a remake. Of the first movie, and I know this is controversial, but I can't decide whether I like it better than Star Wars. I'm debating.
3: It's You said harsher things about this than Star
0: Wars. Yeah, no, but I had more fun in this one. There's something about that 77 movie that just feels so sterile and hard to get into. They're just kind of joyless about it. There's some kind of, in trying to be so retro, it seemed to have no soul. But the soul that comes into it is really the story of Luke and the Jedi stuff. I think that stuff is still good here. I think the conclusion that he gets... With Darth Vader, I can now appreciate. I think it has all the elements that made Star Wars work. Plus, I think I just was more engaged more of the time. I I think by a hair, I prefer Jedi. But I think Jedi and Star Wars are of the same piece. They're both recommends, not strong ones, but solid space operas. Uh, Neither one comes even close to what they had in the middle there.
3: And I give this a solid recommend, which is a step down. I gave... Star Wars and Empire pretty much tied for the strongest recommends I've ever given. I give this a recommend. I kind of agree with Jacob. I think this one has some of the best production values. First of all, Dolby Stereo sound, folks. Dolby Stereo.
2: It comes out of both sides of the speakers.
3: Yeah, man. And this was right about the time quadraphonic was dying. And then the costumes. I mean, we didn't talk a whole lot about them, but Luke's Jedi robes. You mentioned the over robe he wore, but the black outfit, head to toe. Lando still pimping a cape in his general outfit when all the other generals are like, why is he wearing that? The design of the Mon Calamari, the Ewoks. I mean, I realize it was Lucas's thing instead of tall with long hair, we're going to have short with short fur, but it All works. Some of the effects don't. The matting is really where it went to pot when they have too many models that they're trying to put against real filmed backdrops. And I mean, the speeder bike chase at least looks better than the previs they did where they literally had Star Wars action figures on toy speeder bikes, but it's a good looking movie. It's got a great score. It's a tidy end that have some narrative bumps, but I still do love this movie. So yeah. It is a complete recommend for this and for the trilogy. And when this ended in theaters, something about me, I don't do well with suspense, and I did much worse with it as a kid. The worst week of every year for me was the... Last week of sweeps, when all my shows had their season finales with cliffhangers that I had to wait three months to find out. When Picard was turned into Locutus, I just, like, was tearing the walls down. I couldn't take it. So, when Jedi ends, and all the playground chatter, and God only knows where we got this news before the internet. But the playground chatter was, Lucas wants a break, so he's going to take one three-year cycle off. So no movie in 86, but then after that, in 89, episode one, episode two in 92, episode three in 95, and then a break of three years. And in 2001, which I couldn't even imagine living to, episode seven, eight, and nine, because Mark Hamill would be old enough to play the Obi-Wan role.
2: Yeah, I'm. he would give different interviews and, oh, this is going to be four trilogies, and then it got downgraded to three trilogies. I I think Lucas just likes to talk and say every idea. He has issues, though, with execution.
0: I do remember having to tell classmates in the summer of 1986 that there was going to be no Star Wars. There was some guy, I had a bet with him, and he was just like, no, they come every three years, it's coming, it's coming! I'm like, it's not coming, dude. I've looked at the schedule. There's nothing there.
2: You were looking at the schedule even back then?
3: I was, even then, it's true. I knew about what movies were coming out. Well, by 1986, Star Wars had fallen on hard times. The toys had stopped. Lucas had financial trouble.
2: I think you could still find a Rancor Keeper figure, though, in some toy stores and then.
3: Around 85, they started to clear some out in the dollar bins. I remember seeing them and thinking, oh yeah, Star Wars. That was so long ago since they had a new movie. I'm going to go buy some Voltron. But. The licensing of Star Wars was going down, and thanks to the divorce, thanks to the licensing, Lucas's financial empire was becoming lesser. He would rebuild somewhat by turning ILM into the effects house of Hollywood and the THX sound system, and that his technologies were paying off his IPs. Not so much. And yeah, I have seen the original Kenner promotion where they were trying to sell star wars toys to sears and those kinds of stores it said lucas promises 12 movies but what he told mark hamill and those seems to be pretty consistently nine by the late 80s i'd given up i thought there would be three and never more did
2: you want more after howard the duck yeah
3: in fact Stuart and i made our own you know I was so enthralled with Return of the Jedi that I couldn't wait for Lucas to make a sequel. So we made our own. It's true. Is
2: this a triple diamond, a $3 million donation? Do videos still exist?
3: (laughs) I'll actually go um, double platinum, half a million. (laughs) I would love to see it again. It has been a long time. I remember I had blonde hair, so I got to play the Luke part. I was upset that you were Luke. I had to play Vader. I didn't have a mask, so we just said (laughs) since Vader had died, The dark side reincorporated him. He didn't need a mask anymore. Now, the other toy I wanted so badly as a kid and never got was one of the Kenner lightsabers, the plastic ones that made the kind of air sound.
2: Yeah, I remember my cousins had those. I never got one, though.
3: No, I wanted those. Instead, my dad bought me, like, medieval nightcraft crap. <laughs> That's right. So Stuart and I, as Luke and Vader, are fighting in my bedroom and with a plastic axe and a plastic <laughs> King Arthur sword. It
0: was a crawl crossover. <laughs>
3: It had no sound, but we did record an audio tape that has been lost to the ether of our dialogue.
2: That's why it's only half a million for this. That's
3: right. You had to hit the cassette at the right moment. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And we did watch this video uh, the night of my rehearsal dinner, Stuart, if you remember. You were narrating for the audience <laughs> of gales of laughter as my mother pulled this video out to show the night before my wedding.
0: Oh, wow. I I
3: don't remember showing
0: it in that venue, but I do remember the movie pretty clearly. I was in bed. I woke up. I heard a voice. I decided to get into an elevator. Which was my closet, but it had sliding doors. And you were in there, but we weren't supposed to see you, but you're clearly in the shot. (laughs) And then I come out and have a a lightsaber battle or some
3: kind of battle with you. Well, you try to shoot me and I throw your gun using the force. We kind of replay the Han Vader. We would be honored if you would join us moment. And then you pull out a sword.
0: And I throw a marble, right? Because that was our laser effect. There's like a marble that
3: gets thrown and and ricochets. I was supposed to hit it and we had to do multiple takes but didn't know how to edit. So there's like four takes of me dropping a marble and trying to hit it with the sword and missing. <laughs> That's and right. finally I hit it and Stuart pretends it hits him. It's the- Why am I holding a bloody Yoda? That's what I can't remember. Oh, the- <laughs> it ruined my Yoda hand puppet. The ghost of Yoda appeared to you, you to give you guidance there and is. I used the dark side to kill Yoda and so yes. the ghost became bloody. I had Stage makeup blood that I poured all over Yoda and stained my vintage puppet. That was
0: the Stuart horror touch right there.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And then the fight went outside to my swimming pool. Yes. (laughs) And I, as Darth Vader, even though I wasn't a robot anymore, (laughs) was... Thrown into water and rusted. That's what it was. They're like, why do we pour your sister's
0: Maybelline all over your face? There it we is. used
3: base as rust, and of course, this didn't show up on a Super Eight video. But I, I, we're like, hey, this is slightly different than my skin tone, mm. so it's rust.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, you 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 make some kind of frozen, I'm melting face, and then like it's just shots of us swimming because we didn't really we had some more footage.
3: No. You brought me back to the good side, and then Luke and Vader were happy, and then, yeah, there's us swimming. The- yeah.
0: I just remember your dog running around at some point. I don't think we had a narrative reason for it. <laughs> that was a boffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Diablo.
3: Yeah. I don't remember my dog in that video, but I do have the video. It is digital. So I half guess. a million.
2: It could be Half yours. a
3: million donation. Wow. Okay. Split among the now playing hosts and staff.
0: I'd like to see it, but uh, you know. <laughs> well, you can have it for free. You were in <laughs> it. You produced it. Nobody got it for free. I remember you charged my family when they came over to see it.
3: It was a movie theater. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do.
2: Three seventy five.
3: It yeah. was a dime. I wanted a dime and his mom got pissed over a dime.
2: <laughs> and now you're asking half a million. Quite the inflation. Little does she know what she saw. <laughs> that would have been an investment for a dime.
0: Yeah, it was episode seven before. I guess it's now no longer canon, huh?
3: <laughs> I think the books overrode it in the 90s.
2: I don't know. JJ could be filming out by the pool.
0: I did send him a copy of our script. Hopefully he <laughs> took my ideas.
3: If we see bloody Yoda and Vader with Maybelline, we know we're there. <laughs> But I mean, my Star Wars fandom did last for several years past Jedi. I was reading the books. I had the Atari 2600 games. There were two of them for Return of the Jedi. We made this movie. It took years for the hype to finally slowly die down on me. It was probably by 85 or so that... As a short attention span child, I finally moved away and into Transformers. I think Transformers was what really did it. It took Star Wars to the next level and brought robots to Earth and made them cars. And
2: eventually those Transformers would turn into Star Wars vehicles. Years later. Decades later.
3: But the next Star Wars movie, well... It wasn't too far away, really, the way we're going, because I was watching Star Wars on television. I mentioned I watched Ewoks. I watched Droids with it, and I watched Ewoks movies on ABC Prime Time.
2: Oof. I remember being super excited for these. I don't think so now, though.
0: I think I watched five minutes of one of them, whichever one had Wilford Brimley, and that was enough for me.
2: Yeah, well, we will be discussing that
3: next week. It, we're starting with the Ewok Adventure also now known as Caravan of Courage, if you can find it.
2: It's going to take courage to watch
3: it. <laughs> I'm not brave enough, honestly. I think I'm going to take back
0: every nice thing I said about an Ewok in this podcast. <laughs>
3: In the meantime, we are also discussing much better movies than Caravan of Courage. This Friday, we start releasing movies in our platinum-level Quentin Tarantino donation. In gold, you're getting all the movies Tarantino directed, from Reservoir Dogs through the upcoming Hateful Eight. But for platinum, you get the ones where he was just a really strong influence— And this week we see the Tony Scott directed, Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette starring James Gandolfini and Bronson Pinchot are in there. Brad Pitt. I'm obviously talking about True Romance.
0: Yeah, some might argue it's one of his best films that he'd never made.
3: I would be one of those to argue it.
0: Yeah, it certainly got a big following. I loved it at the time.
3: I haven't seen it in so long, so I am looking forward to doing it. I watched it for my first time with you because it was only in theaters for a week, and I I really wanted to see it in theaters, and I've seen it so many times since. We're going to be discussing that this Friday, and then next Friday, the Platinum series continues as we go to Oliver Stone and Woody Harrelson and Rodney Dangerfield and a coked-up Robert Downey Jr., perhaps, allegedly, in Natural Born Killers.
0: Yeah I'm not sure that one's aged well. I'm a little afraid to go back to that one. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'll be reading the original scripts too to see what the new directors did to Tarantino's vision. So that's really going to be an interesting compare and contrast. What Tarantino might have made if he had directed them and what Tony Scott, Oliver Stone did to make them their
3: own. So you can get those by supporting Now Playing. This show that we put out every week for free costs us money and has a large team behind it the editors graphic designers webmasters hosts there's just a lot of people a lot of time and a lot of money that goes into this podcast with web hosting and things so we rely completely on listener support sadly disney is not writing us checks to recommend the movies if so stewart might have recommended guardians i don't know can you be bought Sure. Okay. So (laughs) the fact that you didn't recommend the Billion Dollar Making Guardians is proof. We are independent. We say what we feel and think. So the only way we're able to do that is because of listener support. We stay ad-free because of your support. So the Platinum Level Donation is a donation that goes to this show, not to us, to the show, of $35 or more. And for that, you get an absolute crazy number of podcasts.
0: Yeah, that is way bigger than anything we've done before.
3: and yeah, Almost half a year's worth. Yeah. Seriously. We, I dare say we will never do a donation drive this big again for the $35 mark because that is less than $2 a show. But... There's so much Tarantino, we want to do Tarantino. We want you to hear us do Tarantino, so we kept the price as low as we could for this one. If you can't do 35 or more, you're still gonna get 15 podcasts if you do 25 or more. There, you're going to get the Tarantino-directed films, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, both Kill Bill's, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and The Hateful Eight. In addition to our silver donation, if you can only do $10 or more, you get six podcasts. You get the four Hunger Game reviews leading up to Mockingjay Part 2 this November, as well as the already released reviews of Battle Royale and Battle Royale 2, the book and film that many have alleged inspired the Hunger Games. It's a huge donation drive for the same amount of money we have always asked. $10 for silver, $25 for gold, 35 for platinum. We hope you can find it this season to support our show and hear these podcasts about movies that there's a lot of love in these podcasts. I can say that for sure. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me and until next week with Caravan of Courage, the podcast will be with you always.
1: Luke, help me take this mask off but you'll die nothing can stop that now just for once let me look on you with my own eyes Now go my
0: son
3: leave me no you're coming with me i'll not leave you here i've got to save you you already have
1: you were right you were right about me tell your sister you were right Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing Star Wars retrospective series. Atu, don't leave me! We hope you've enjoyed the show. Hey, Luke, thanks. I owe you one. If you like Star Wars, join Arnie and Marjorie at swactionnews.com for Star Wars Action News, a podcast dedicated to Star Wars toys, books, games, and more. You want me, don't you? And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Good. I hate long waits. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews, including every film in the Star Trek, Terminator, 2001, Back to the Future, Batman, and James Bond film series. Let's go, and don't forget the droids. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can share your opinions of these films with the hosts and other listeners. Well, they're on their way. Arthur, i are you sure this was a good idea? You can also follow NowPlaying on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes, and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com.
0: We're on our way. Red group, gold group, all fighters follow me. <laughs> I told you they'd do it.
1: <laughs> now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. The mighty Jabba asks why he must pay 50000 We rely on support from listeners like you to help keep the show going. I can't do it, Ben. Then the Emperor has already won. You were our only hope. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. I have a promise to keep. An old friend. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. It is the only way you can save your friends. You can show your love of Now Playing podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. Yeah, well, I don't think the Empire had Wookies in mind when they designed her, Chewie. A link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. Your insight serves you well. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. He is most displeased with your apparent lack of progress. We shall double our efforts. I hope so, Commander, for your sake. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Blended. We have been without an interpreter
3: since our master got angry with our last protocol droid and disintegrated him.
1: Now playing is not affiliated with Lucasfilm, 20th Century Fox, or Disney. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Lucasfilm Limited, and no infringement is intended. It is pointless to resist, my son. You underestimate the power of the dark side. The opinions expressed on Nell Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Now playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Wonderful. We are not a part of the tribe. That's what I always wanted.
3: This is the now playing co-host who lets his hate for the aviator flow through him, Arnie. Just to be clear, the
0: aviator, the Christopher Reeve needs an airplane now to fly movie.
3: No, the aviator,
2: the... (laughs) The one in our archives.
3: DiCaprio, Scorsese. What does that have to do with anything?
2: He's fueled by the hate for that film. That's what keeps him going.
0: Oh, I assumed... I thought Richard Marquand made that movie, The Aviator, from the 80s.
2: Did Marquand
3: make anything else? That is- oh, I don't
0: know. I just <laughs> assumed that's why you brought up The Aviator. That's such a weird thing to bring up, but... I don't. You have so many hatreds. Like you go back between that and
3: Superman Returns. What's worse? I, what's worse is you recommending Superman Returns. Okay. I could understand recommending the Aviator. I cannot understand giving Superman Returns a pass. It's just it is such a desecration. No, Aviator is the worst movie. But you. But you can rec- could understand why someone would recommend it more.
0: That's he, kind of backwards thinking.
3: I hate the Aviator for its artistic douchebaggery, but I know some people like douchebaggery.
0: Well, couldn't you say the same thing about the douchebaggery in Superman Return?
3: No, that's incompetence. There's a difference.
2: Oh, I feel like we've really gone off the rails already. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We'll get to Jedi one day. but
3: I'm just trying to understand
2: where where the low bar is.
3: Really, the low bar is Jupiter Ascending. So few people heard that. Yeah.
0: And you had no disagreement, really. We didn't hate it like you did, but we all – I think we all said no,
2: right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Pretty strongly. Strong strong. (laughs) no's.
0: Do you remember the though Christopher Reeve had uh, this movie called The Aviator where he was like flying in like a Red Baron plane or something? (laughs) It was really – it was really drab. I think Karen Allen was in it. It was really boring.
3: (laughs) How did did he tell her apart from Margot Kidder? I
0: th- I don't think he did. I, th- I would think they were hoping we wouldn't notice. Hey, he's in the air with a brunette. It's the same thing. But I'm telling you, as a child that wanted it to be Superman, it was not. I think some Frenchman made it, but I don't know anything about Marquand. I'm I'm, I'm curious to know who the this guy is.
2: It's not a French guy who did Aviator. It's George Miller, but not the George Miller of Mad Max. The George mm. Miller of NeverEnding Story 2. <laughs> and the man from Snowy River. <laughs>
0: It gets all the more confusing. Down the rabbit hole we go. All
2: right. This is
3: like going to be a blooper that's as long as the show. We're just- this, this is yes, we
2: have the extended cut for Star Wars, and this is just mm. an extended cut blooper you can get. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No one really needs to talk about Christopher Reeve's career outside of Death Trap and Superman movies. I don't think Monsignor. Uh, Seriously, have you ever tried to watch that son of bitches movies outside of those? <laughs> <laughs> They're horrible.
3: Did people oh. want to say he was typecast. I'm like, no, he sucked. <laughs> I did watch that. What, what was the one where he's afraid of heights? Like Switching was, channels. Yeah, that was not good. I
0: remember, yeah, it not being as awful as Monsignor. Oh, Somewhere in Time. Oh, <laughs> f- people do love that movie. Yeah, I liked that movie a lot as a <laughs> It was kid. okay. You know what? It's, it's actually a decent movie. I just forget about it. I haven't seen it since I was like
3: seven. But
0: Yeah, it's I've seen it recently. It's it It's decent. I take it all back, Chris. I'm sorry.
2: Just pouring myself a drink for whenever you guys want to start.
3: <laughs> I don't know. Do we want to talk about Jedi? Maybe It sounded like you were taking a <laughs> shit. No. <laughs> I like, what the hell going on? <laughs> you're recording in the toilet?
2: <laughs> hey, you're the only one that's done that. I've never done that. You take the headphones in there,
3: but I've never taken a mic. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah, but you should
0: there. and do a sing along. <laughs> oh, Ooh.
3: have like Ooh. the uh, <laughs> the naked gun moment. No Friday
0: Five. Remember the call and response demons in the oh, sh-ter oh and yeah, the girlfriend. That too. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought you were just thinking about the times I run to piss while we record. No, that is my go to for thinking about inappropriate bathroom usage, is Friday the 13th. I,
2: I feel like this is now the David Lynch cut of Return of the Jedi we're reviewing. We're re-
0: People are like, what show are that? Is this the Friday the 13th blooper? Superman blooper?
3: When are they going to talk
0: about the Star Wars? Never!
3: I should just leave this in. Just like, Come to the dark side,
0: Monsignor.
3: Here we go. Alright. Alright, I got one.
2: Six minutes of blooper.
3: <laughs> 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 oh. Okay.
2: <laughs> I just thought it was cool because I was really into Michael Jackson and he wore one
3: glove. <laughs> Princess Leia is not my lover.
2: I hey, I ran around with one glove because of Luke Skywalker and Michael Jackson.
0: No, Michael Jackson did do a Star Wars song, Can't Stop to Get Enough. That's a Star Wars song.
3: What? Yeah, haven't you ever heard that? He's t- he sings about the Force. I know that song really well, but yeah. I don't hear Star Wars in it.
0: He's The first line is the Force. It's the power. I mean, yeah, it's all about it.
3: Look it you there. Blowing my mind. I'll have to check that out later on. I own Off the Wall. <laughs> I know he did the Heartlight song for E.T. Yeah. No, I, I think he saw Star Wars and recorded that song. That also could explain the video with the laser lights and the smoke.
0: Well, that was every video. Everyone <laughs> wanted to be on Star Wars. That was the problem. And then you get B. Arthur in space.
2: Keep on with the Force. Don't stop. Don't stop till you get enough. There we go. I mean, oh, that, go. I can never understand what he says.
3: I hear, keep on with the Rosha. Don't stop till you get enough. Keep on with the Rosha. I mean, it's like <laughs> in it the saying of a song of a Montusa on the same of a song of yeah. What the <laughs> fuck is he saying? He's singing in Hutt. You didn't know?
2: <laughs> like hot candle wax sensation. I Perhaps that's a cutscene between Jabba and Leia. <laughs> anyway. Nine num. Come on.
3: Okay. Or is it Nien num I always wondered. but Nine, I d- he's German. <laughs> I, I don't wonder, but uh, I, I, I think I, it I, is nine because earlier in the film there's another Sulistin and they ended up calling him Ten Numb. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not one of those people. Lucas did not rape my childhood.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Jedi Rocks gets to some uncomfortable, unwanted touching, at least. <laughs>
3: I just remember going with my father to see this, probably my fifth or sixth time. And we leave, he's like, Vader was wheezing. He's asthmatic like you. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, your dad always
0: seems to miss the point.
3: Each one
0: you